This is Jocko Podcast number 234 with Echo Charles and me, Jocko Willink. Good evening, Echo. Good evening. So I was working with some echelon front clients the other day talking about leadership and I was talking about the minimum use of force. Have you ever heard that phrase before? Yes, I have. So we talk about it from sort of a combatives, a tactical perspective, but I was talking about it from a leadership perspective, meaning that you want to lead, you want to lead most of the time with a minimum use of force. So I wanna do as little as I can to make you do what I want you to do. That's That's a good rule of thumb to lead with. I was also thinking, and, and this is, you might, I don't, know, I don't know if you're gonna find this funny, you might. I was thinking about leaders being legit. You know, have you noticed I use the term legit? Yes, I use it more now. You've, you've acquired it. I've acquired it, yes. And, and we, we know what it means, right? We, we use the term to mean like that's cool, but it's a little bit stronger, right? Mm-hmm. Means kind of approved. But then I was thinking about the, you know, the source of that word, legitimate, because once again, I was talking about leaders being legit and actually beyond that, leaders being legitimate leaders. Think about that, right? Mm -hmm. Think about the difference in your mind when you think of a legitimate leader or someone that's an illegitimate leader. There's a huge difference Mm -hmm. because when a leader is viewed as illegitimate, then they're not respected, they're not listened to. If someone gets put into a position because they're the boss's favorite or because they backstabbed someone, right, to get into that, to get that promotion, they're not gonna be considered legitimate, a legitimate leader, and that hurts their ability to lead. So as I was thinking about these two things, the minimum use of force and legitimacy, and I recognize both those thoughts in my head from the counterinsurgency manual, FM3 TAC24. Now, here's a little history behind this manual. When I re- arrived in Ramadi, you know, this, is the, this is the manual that I read when I arrived in Ramadi. So what happened was I arrived in Ramadi, I went to an intel briefing. During the intel briefing, there was this massive link diagram of all these bad guys a bunch of them connected, how they were connected, who they were connected to. Some of the bad guys had little slat red slashes through them, made they'd be killed, or a little green slash through them meant they'd been captured. But the thing is, this massive link diagram didn't really look all that much different as the link diagram that I had left in Baghdad two and a half years prior. So in my mind, I kinda realized, wait a second, if we're still doing the same thing and things don't really look all that different, this isn't good and well, it seems like we're losing. So I don't know what necessarily thing triggered my brain to go and read the counterinsurgency manual. I must have seen something, you know, I used to read all these and still do. I'd read, you know, these sort of military websites and, you know, military news and those kind of things. And somewhere in there, I had seen that this new, this new field manual was coming out. And I knew that this new field manual had been written by General Petraeus and General Mattis. Both those guys need no introduction. Both incredible leaders, very 
very well known inside the military when I was in and and now both of them are well known outside the military and that reading this so I so I went and googled it on the regular internet and so now this is like May yeah this is May of 2006 and I'm trying to remember I I don't think I saw the whole completed manual I think I saw an either I think I saw chapters of it and I did a little research and it turns out that they they did they had sort of assembled the initial chapters and released them as quick as they could mm. just to get this information out there. And when I read it it definitely shaped the way I thought about the battle of Ramadi it shaped the way that task unit bruiser could operate in the battle of Ramadi and really it ended up shaping the way I think about a lot of different things about leadership and business and the teams and and life. And so I actually dug around the internet and I found one of these early versions. So one of the versions that I found of this, it's it says on it, uh, FM3 Tech 24, and it's June 2006. That's when this, this is the final draft. So I think, I think the thing I read was probably just a little bit earlier, probably one of the few chapters released. And also, when I read that, I read what I read, and again, I wish I remembered it better. What I read, I read the whole thing. Mm. And when you see the whole manual, it's 250 pages, and there's a lot of stuff that gets into stuff that wouldn't have been as pertinent to where I was and what I was doing. So I think I probably saw the first, two or three chapters of this, and I absolutely know for a fact I saw the first chapter, which is what I wanna dive into today. Now, this is, this is, this is what made me wanna dive into, because believe me, this is one of the first manuals that I wanted to cover. I said, oh, you know, I should cover the field, I should cover the counterinsurgency field manual, we should go and read that. <coughs> well, here's the deal. It is a huge manual, right? And a lot of it digs into the weeds and kind of gets really granular on you know, how you do logistics inside it. So there's a lot of really deep, not deep's not the right word. There's a lot of very tactical techniques that you're gonna use to make things happen inside of a counterinsurgency. But what I find fascinating about this is the way that it relates to absolutely everything, especially from a leadership perspective, especially from a leadership perspective. Because you start thinking about things. You start thinking about the way the world is formulated. Mm-hmm. And if you think about it from an insurgency and a counterinsurgency perspective, you start to see things much clearer. And the reason is because, let's face it, if you, if you want to take a look at things, you want to say, oh, war is comparable to everything, right? Everything is comparable to war. Could, is it possible to say that? Okay, well, it's possible to say that. But if you don't include insurgency in that and counterinsurgency in that, look, war is not always, especially in business, especially inside inside of a business, inside of a team. Is it really a war when you know I'm trying to get some of one of my subordinate teams to do what my other subordinate team is doing, and they're giving me resistance? Is that war? Is that an all-out war? Not really. It's more like an insurgency. And what I've got to do 
I can't just go to war with them. If I go to war with them, I'm gonna destroy them. That's the goal of war. Insurgency means I'm gonna form relationships, I'm gonna bring people on board, I'm gonna get rid of the people that are bad actors. Like it's a totally different, much more nuanced thing. And that's what allows you when you can put, when you can look at things through the prism of insurgency and counterinsurgency, it gives you, it will give you some, it will give you some visibility on how to handle situations. So it's real easy to say, ah, we're at war with our competitor. Okay, I get that. Mm-hmm. We're at war with our competitor. We're gonna go to war with our competitor. Yeah. We're gonna go to war with this other team. But when you say, hey, we've got people inside of our own organization that don't agree with what we're doing, all of a sudden it takes on a totally different meaning. Mm-hmm. Because if you go to war with them, what do you do? You destroy them. Can you, can you, effectively and perfectly destroy only the things that you want in a war? No. War means there's going to be collateral damage. It means people are going to, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a gnarly thing. Yeah. So, but insurgency and counterinsurgency is more nuanced. It takes more, you have to use a scalpel instead of using a battle axe, right? Mm-hmm. That's what you're doing. And so when you start seeing things as an insurgency and acting as if you're utilizing counterinsurgency procedures to to try and solve that problem, it's a much more accurate way of saying, hey, everything in life is comparable to war. Okay, does everything in life comparable (laughs) to war? Maybe, but that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is this allows you to make much better analogies like that. I'm not saying there's perfect. I'm not saying everything in life is war. No, this allows you, if there's a war analogy, if there's a war metaphor there, if there's things to be learned from war, you have to learn from the insurgency and counterinsurgency mindset. So let's get into this. It's, it, and, and I wanna make sure that I, I kind of point some of this stuff out as we go through. So here's the forward. This manual is designed to fill a doctrinal gap. It's been 20 years since the U.S. Army published a manual devoted to counterinsurgency operations and 25 since the Marine Corps published its last manual. With our soldiers and Marines fighting insurgents in both Afghanistan and Iraq, it is thus essential that we give them a manual that provides principles and guidelines for counterinsurgency operations. And they call that COIN. Such guidance must be grounded in historical studies. However, it must be informed by contemporary experiences. So what's cool about this is, and they they reference the counterinsurgency and the insurgency in Iraq in 2005. Like that's how up to date this thing was. And they were trying to get this information out there as quick as they could. This manual takes a general approach to coin. The Army and Marine Corps recognize that every insurgency is contextual and presents its own set of challenges. So guess what? Every little disagreement that you have inside your team has its own little contextual things that are happening in its own set of challenges. So you have to be able to adapt to that. You cannot fight former Saddamists and Islamic extremists the same way you would fight the Viet Cong, the Moros, which is a Philippine... Uh, uh, let's call insurgent group, or the Tupamaros, which was in Uruguay, the application of principles and fundamentals to deal with each very considerably. And it goes on to say that nonetheless, there's common characteristics of insurgencies. It says, a counterinsurgency campaign is, as described in this manual, a mix 
of offense, defense, and stability operations conducted along multiple lines of operations. So that right there, if you take that little thing right there into your mindset, because if we just say we're going to war, what does that mean? It means optimally, we're just going on offense. Maybe we say we're going to go offense, but we're going to have to go on defense sometimes. But then stability, like what does that mean? That means you're trying to keep this whole organization together. Mm. right? You're not, wor- you're not worried about this. When I'm going to total war with Echo's country, I'm not worried about stability for you. I'm worried about just destroying you. I'm going on offense. Mm. And then conducted along multiple lines of operations. So that means there's all kinds, it's not just fighting. It's not just guns. It requires soldiers and Marines to deploy a mix of both familiar combat tasks and skills more often associated with non-military agencies with balance between them depending on the local situation. This is not easy. Leaders at all levels must adjust their approach constantly, ensuring that their elements are ready each day to be greeted with a handshake or a hand grenade. What, what does that do to your mentality? I mean, just think you're going into a meeting. You gotta be ready to deal with a handshake or a hand grenade. That's what you gotta be ready for. Mm-hmm. To take on missions that only infrequently practiced until recent years at our combat training centers to be our nation, nation builders as well as warriors to help reestablish institutions and local security forces to assist in the rebuilding of infrastructure and basic services and to facilitate the establishment of local governance and rule of law. That's what you throw the military into all that stuff. That's why counterinsurgency is so hard. Yeah, just everything I just said. Going to war is like the easy part. Mm -hmm. Here's the bad guys, go kill them. That's the easy part. Everything else I just said, that's what makes this so complicated. Conducting a successful counterinsurgency campaign thus requires a flexible, adaptive force led by agile, well-informed, Culturally astute leaders. Probably the opposite of what the stereotypical military person is. It is our hope that this manual provides the necessary guidelines to succeed in such a campaign in operations that inevitably are exceedingly difficult and complex. Our soldiers and Marines deserve nothing less. And it's signed David H. Petraeus, Lieutenant General, U.S. Army, and James N. Mattis, Lieutenant General, United States Marine Corps. So there's your introduction. Right out of the gate, you can see we're dealing with something totally different. Just infinitely more complex. Chapter one, and this is the only chapter we're gonna cover today. And it may be the, look, like I said, it gets into some very granular stuff, but this is such a good opening. Chapter one, insurgency and counterinsurgency. Counterinsurgency is not just thinking man's warfare, it's the graduate level of war. Special Forces Officer in Iraq 2005. And this is what's what's really cool about this is the Battle of Ramadi is seen as a model of counterinsurgency. Mm. And I was lucky enough to be there and lucky enough to sit in brigade brigade op orders and division op orders and to sit with the 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 brigade commander and listen to what his thoughts were and hear what the input was and hear, I mean, it just was, I was so lucky to be a part of this, to be there. So starts off overview, insurgency and counterinsurgency are subsets of war. 
though globalization and technology and technological advancement have influenced contemporary conflict the nature of war in the 21st century is the same as it has been since ancient times a violent clash of interest between or among organized groups characterized by use of military force success in war still depends on a group's ability to mobilize support for its political interests and generate sufficient violence to achieve political consequences Means to achieve these goals are not limited to regular armies employed by a nation-state at its core War is a violent struggle between hostile independent and irreconcilable wills attempting to impose their desires on another It is a complex interaction between human beings and is played out in a continuous process of action reaction and adaptation War this manual is available for free on the interwebs. Google it. I'm not gonna read the whole thing today. I'm gonna hit some highlights. Says this also, its scale and complexity should never, this is talking about counterinsurgency, its scale and complexity should never be underestimated by leaders and planners. Indeed, the possible scale and complexity must be understood before the beginning of any such operation. This is a mistake we've seemed to make over and over again. You think you're the big, uh, badass American military. We're gonna go in there, we're gonna squash these these enemy soldiers and the peasants will be on board. You know, the local populace will be on board when they see the freedom. And we just underestimate this thing all day long. Mm. You underestimate how hard it is to do this. How hard it is to actually execute a, a counterinsurgency. Talks about a couple different aspects of insurgency, a couple different kinds. A revolution, which they describe as an unplanned, spontaneous explosion of popular will. Another one is a coup d'etat, which is a small group of plotters that replace state leaders with little support from the people at large. And an in, in insurgency is an organized, protracted, political military struggle designed to weaken government control. Insurgencies normally seek to either overthrow existing social order and relocate power within the country. Uh, Talks about internal wars. As the name internal wars implies, these are primarily conflicts within states, not conflicts between states, and they all contain at least some element of civil war. That's why I think so much of this is pertinent to being a leader, because so much of being a leader isn't about how you're taking the fight to the enemy, it's how you're handling the people inside your own country. Mm. That's what's hard. Mm. Handling the people inside your own company, handling the people inside your own organization. Let me tell you something, at Echelon Front, where we do leadership consulting, we spend at least as much time helping solve the problems inside the company as we do helping companies figure out how to solve what they do to beat their competitors. Because if you don't have a squared away organized situation inside your team, you're not gonna beat the competitors. You're not gonna defeat your enemy. So this counterinsurgency, these these counterinsurgent tactics are what you use to help your own team stay unified. And if you don't utilize them correctly, guess what you get? You get an insurgency. And at worst, it rips your team apart. But 
even if it doesn't rip your team apart, it has you rowing in different directions. And when you row in different directions, you don't go where you're supposed to go. So you need to, you need to keep a check on that. Mm-hmm. One possible exception to this rule involves what can be termed a liberation insurgency where indigenous elements seek to expel or overthrow what they perceive to be a foreign occupational government. Such a resistance movement could be mounted by a legitimate government in exile as well as elements competing for that role. Another thing that happens in business, businesses get bought. Businesses get bought by bigger businesses. Businesses have people get inside and take over. There's hostile takeovers. There's all these kind of situations. And then you get these little insurgencies inside companies, inside businesses, inside teams. Um, Also, it can be outside actors get involved. Fast forward, in all cases, the long-term objective for all side remains acceptance of the legitimacy of one side's claim to political power by the people, state, or region. So if you're a leader and you are in a company and you're not considered legitimate, you ha- you're, you're basically out of the gate, you're probably gonna be dealing with an insurgency. Yeah. That's just how it's happening. Mm-hmm. It's gonna be rough. Another little section here. The scale and complexity of coins should never be underestimated. The effort requires a firm political will and extreme patience on the part of the government, its people, and countries providing its uh, support. Widespread security requirements also limit flexibility, again, ceding ceding the initiative to insurgents. There's all kinds of reasons that the insurgents have an advantage. Right. Oh, another quote here. The contest of internal war is not fair as most of the rules favor the insurgents. Most of the rules favor the insurgents. Iraq, they absolutely did. Do, do the, did the insurgents in Iraq care if they wounded friendly civilians? Not one bit. Did they care if they killed each other? Not one bit. Did they use torture? Absolutely. Did they use terror? Absolutely. Did they do the most brutal and savage things to the local populace? Yes, they absolutely did. And they didn't care at all. So they have a complete advantage when it comes to the rules. And whether you're talking about the tactical rules or the actual rules of engagement or the law of armed conflict, they don't care about any of that. The insurgent can make exorbitant promises and point out governmental shortcomings caused by the insurgency. So yeah, so you make a mistake fighting an insurgency, they're gonna use it to their advantage. Mm-hmm. You you kill civilians by accident, oh, that's gonna be uh, you know national news, world news, global news. They're gonna take advantage of that. They want that to happen. Fast forward, coin is not an approach to war that can be classified simply as foreign internal defense. It features a full spectrum of operations, including stability operations like any other campaign. In all cases, however, insurgencies will not be defeated simply by killing insurgents. Since the, insurgents, since the insurgent begins with strategic initiative, meaning they have an advantage, the counterinsurgent is usually involved initially in more defensive than offensive operations. That's the way it kind of kicks off. They're attacking you. You don't even know who they are. Victory cannot be gained until the people accept the legitimacy of the government mounting coin and stop actively and passively supporting the insurgents. That right there, I was smiling when I read this because 
that's one of the quotes that I just completely ripped off from this when I read it for the first time and I started using that all the time. You know, I started saying, well, you know, when my boss would ask me, you know, what are you guys trying to get done? I'm like, sir, you know, we're trying to, we're trying to stop the passive support that's happening for the insurgents. Mm. And all of a sudden I sounded smart. <laughs> stole, stole, um, stole words from them. Because that's what, there was a lot of in Ramadi. In Ramadi there was, the local populace was so scared that if an insurgent came into their house and wanted to use their window to shoot their sniper rifle from, they would just like get out of their way, give them some bread. You know, we don't want to bother you. You do what you got to do. We're not, we're not here to cause you, but they, they provided passive support. Yeah. And that happens inside companies too. Mm-hmm. You know, you get the, whatever, that one element that used to be here, they're going to help you. They're going to yeah. give you a hand. They're not definitely not going to rat you out because they see that illegitimate leader that whatever stepped in. Dude, they just want to keep their job a lot of the time. Yeah, yeah. exactly. They don't want to make any waves, no, they right? They don't want to make waves. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> this gives a good section that kind of talks about the histories of insurgencies. So that's why it's worth pulling out this book. Um, each insurgency is unique, although there may be similarities among them. In all cases, the insurgents' aim is to force political change. And this is important. And I was trying to read my note here. Force political change, but actually sometimes, especially in business, the goal is to prevent change, mm. right? They don't want some new system. They don't want some new procedure. So they have a little insurgency to fight against. They're fighting against change. Um, Specific types of insurgency. Here's some things that you're supposed to try and figure out. What's the root cause of the insurgency? How important is that, right? If you're in a team and you're in a business, you're in a leadership position, and there's some kind of an insurgency happening, you feel that. Find out what the root of it is. Where is this coming from? Next, extent to which it enjoys support, both internally and and externally, who's who? Who's on board with us? Bases on which insurgents appeal to target population. Insurgents' motivation and depth of commitment. Where are they at? Like, how much does this mean to them? Likely insurgent weapons and tactics. Operational environment which insurgents seek to initiate and develop their campaign. So there's some things to look at. And and this is why this again. This is why I think this is important because. If you just look at your own team and you just think, oh, they're against me, I'm at war with them, it's a problem. The way you fight that war is not gonna be correct. If you look at it as an insurgency, you say, okay, how do I actually assess this? And this becomes, this gives you such a strategic advantage. Several different types of insurgents Some of them seek to completely change the existing political system. Anarchists, egalitarians, traditionalists, pluralists. They got good little definitions for all these in there. Some do not seek total political power in a state. These are secessionists, reformists, preventionists, commercialists. And you got to try and figure out what it is that your insurgents are seeking. Insurgent strategies, you've got conspiratorial. Conspiratorial strategy involves a few leaders and a militant cadre or activist party seizing control of government structures or exploiting a revolutionary situation. 
This is what's interesting. Such insurgents remain secretive as long as possible, emerging only when success can be quickly achieved. That's definitely something to think about because you think everything's going cool, right? You hear a little bit of murmur here, a murmur there. Someone's talking about this method that we're using. Someone's against some way, some change that we want to make. You hear little whispers. And then all of a sudden one day, boom, you get hit in the face with it and you weren't ready for it. So you got to watch out for that. Military focus. These are ones that are going to use military force to try and make things happen. Urban organizations like the Irish Republican Army and Latin American groups have pursued an urban warfare strategy. Approach uses terrorist tactics in cities to sow disorder and create government repression. Those such activities have not generated much success without wider rural support. Um, you also got the protracted popular war. God, that's, an, that's a, it's just an ugly tor- term, protracted war. What does that mean? It's going to last a long, long time. And what sucks is, from a psychological standpoint, like if you and I are going to train jujitsu, and you know that I'm just a guy that's just going to go protracted war. Like, you don't want none of that, right? No, I tend not to. Yeah. Hey, well, let me, let me, let's say you set up the clock, the timer, and you put five-minute rounds on there, and then I walk over and I just turn it off. <laughs> There's no time limit. It's just going to be a protracted war. It's, we're going, and I don't care how long it takes. Yeah. I was thinking of doing a... Is there still is there a jujitsu tournament right now that's no time limit submission only? Mm. Does one exist right now? I don't know. We've had some variations of it attempted. Yeah. But is there anyone that's doing no time limit? No submission th- only. I think there's certain ones that have like those types of matches, but there I think there's specific like special matches, like no yeah. time limit matches or something like that. Not all of them, but it's Actually, it's pretty rare, but yes, I've seen that. What if we do a jiu-jitsu tournament called Protracted War? <laughs> yeah, sure. The thing is, you got to be ready. You got to be ready for Think about a, this as a competitor. As a competitor. You're like, I got to hydrate because I might be fighting for the next nine hours. Well, that's what the UFC was, Protracted. Yeah, it was pro- the first ones were, what? how many How many before they made um, the time limits? 15 minute time limit with like a overtime or so uh it was one and two i think yeah. and three something like that yeah. so you'd have to do this i had an idea you do because you got to figure most matches aren't going to last like nine hours yeah very few matches would last nine hours i think i think very few matches would go over an hour but occasionally you would get two just really evenly matched humans and you know how hard it is to submit somebody that's good. Yeah. But if you had three mats running at the same time, yeah. and they were all had a no time limit, protracted war on each one of them, so that way, yeah. if you have an audience that wants to see this, they can watch whichever one is is happening. Because let's face it, some of them is going to get, you know, the guy's going to get a position, and he's just going to start grinding somebody down. But it might take two hours. Yeah. I mean, if I got if I was in if I was going against you in this tournament and I got a cross side, 
it would be a long time. Yeah. I would be there for a long time. Yeah. yeah. I wouldn't rush it. Right. I would cook you for a while. Sure. Yeah. Why, why be, would I rush? Yeah, no reason. The And I think that was the whole thing about jujitsu to begin with. Mm-hmm. Like how, you know, Haley Gracie's. You know, smaller guy. Mm-hmm. You know, and they, he lets the. You know, he can put himself in safe positions, mm-hmm. positioning, t- minimize damage, all this stuff, and then the guy gets all tired, and then he can use his, you know, leverage or whatever. Like there was a lot of them. His matches, old school, over one hour. Yeah. When they had no time limit, but you got to be ready for that. Yeah, as a competitor, but as far as tournaments go, as an audience member too, you got to be ready for that. Yeah, well, that's why maybe you're doing it with multiple matches going on at the same time, and that way you can, sh- you know, you can kind of highlight the big the match where there's action happening. I watched a I don't I don't think it was no time limit, but mim- limit, but it was one of those ones that I think it was like a thirty minute mm-hmm. time limit. It was like a super fight at mm-hmm. one of the early tournaments that I did, and they were super good. They're both really good, so they're even, mm-hmm. and like none of them even scored a point. On each yeah. other, and after a while, I was like, "Bro, this is, this is I like jujitsu a lot, <laughs> but it's kind of boring." Yeah, bro. that's that's the you know what the problem is there, the time limit, the time limit, because when you have a time limit, you're like, "Oh well, I was training yesterday." I was like, mm. "There was something like forty seconds left. I could see it on the clock," mm. and I was fighting. I was rolling with Andy, and I was like fighting to keep him in you know from passing my guard. And then, you know, there was like 32 seconds left. And I was like, hey, man, even if he passed my guard right now, <laughs> you know, he's chances are he's not going to finish me. Yeah. So so I'm not saying I let him pass because he definitely passed it. But, yeah, you don't kind of, you know, I kind of like then lock, lock my hands and I kind of sat there and I'm like, you know, and he even he knows it. Yeah. He knows yeah. it. He's Feel laughing. It. He's like smiling or whatever. Mm-hmm. He's like, yeah. So that's in your head. Yeah. So. When you when you're in these things and you have a time limit, you're like, mm, whatever. I can I can I can hang out for another seven minutes. Yeah. Not just just don't expose anything. But if there's no time limit, yeah, it's a different mentality. It's a different mentality. So when you're going into those protracted wars, if you're the if you're the insurgent, bro, you live there. Yeah. <laughs> you live there. It's your life now. So, so you don't care how long. You know when we when we fought Vietnam. Yeah. When we fought in Vietnam, the Vietnamese, they're not going anywhere. They're not, they're at home. Right. You know, we have to go over there. Yeah. When we're fighting in Iraq, they're at home. The insurgents are there. They live there. There was foreign fighters, of course, but Afghanistan, same thing. So they have this weapon on their side, which is time, the protracted war. Yeah. This is going to sound kind of off, but I was watching this. It was like a one. It wasn't a documentary, but you know the kind where it's like uh, on like Discovery or one of these. And then they uh, they propose like, what if this happened? How you know? Like there's a show called What If Humans Disappeared or something like that. You ever heard of that? Where it's Not like, really. okay, after you know ten years, the cities would start to get oh, overgrown, okay. cool, and after cool. and they have the CGI, and it's pretty cool. So there was one where it said, what if uh, aliens took over, mm-hmm. and how would we beat them? Because if aliens took over, they that's what they would be. They wouldn't be like, oh, let me just come and live with you guys. They, that's what they're saying. Chances okay. are. Chances are they're, they're not benevolent. Yeah, not to help people. They're here for Earth, you know? Okay. It's kind of like, I mean, think about it. That's every living thing. It's kind of like, bro, I live here now kind of thing. Like, <laughs> okay. we got to. Um, so anyway, 
they're saying, how would we fight the aliens? And they're they're breaking it down like this is what the aliens would do first. This is what they'd do second. This is what they'd do third. They're just totally breaking it down. I was like, dang. But they're saying at the end of the at the end of the day, the best way we could win is through I think they called it guerrilla warfare or maybe insurance, insurgency. I forget what they called it. Both. But that's what they would say. It's like we live here, so we have that advantage mm-hmm. of like we can hide for you know months mm-hmm. and then attack and then go hide again. You know because we live here. Meanwhile, they're here, so it's like yeah, they're here. They got to run supplies from their own yep. whatever alien spaceship yeah and they gotta make moves and you they just gotta dragged you know. me into a protracted conversation <laughs> about alien invasions i'm losing this war over here but it's it's the exact metaphor though you know like where if like aliens are coming over whether it be to take over or to get some alien job done bro we live here we don't you know we can take hits we're Dude, still living the, here this is the thing that's ridiculous about this argument is what level of competence does the alien do the aliens have We'll say varying levels of competence. Okay, so if they're, let's face it, we could get invaded by aliens that were not that advanced, and we would just kick their ass real quick. Like on uh, <laughs> District Nine or something like that. I don't know, but okay. I don't, I don't, I'm not familiar. When, where did that battle take place? South Africa. What was who? Who were the insurgents? Aliens. Oh no, the insurgents were. I guess that's not really an oh, insurgent it's a movie. situation. Yes, sir. Oh, okay. I thought you were talking about an actual wartime situation that I was unaware of. Oh yeah, the aliens <laughs> came down. Yeah, I don't, I don't know, but um, yeah, in that movie. Yeah, I guess you know, District Nine was not about any kind of insurgency at all. It was more that show. What was, was their competence? About. What was their competence? The level? aliens. Yeah. Basically, it was like aliens. I don't know. I forget why they were there. No one really knew why they were there. But it's it's essentially the ship didn't it didn't crash, but it sort of got jammed up. And they were sort of stuck there. Okay. So they would they find after a few months or a month or whatever they they were the human people went up and with their helicopters because the alien ship kind of came didn't crash just hovered and mm-hmm. stayed there didn't open didn't nothing. So they go up and they explore they open the alien craft. <laughs> it's pretty good good show. Anyway they open it and all the aliens are all starving and freaking you know they're messed up like oh. they're desolate you know. Got it. And so they're like hey well. They're not hostile, so what do we do? We just leave them, I don't, you know. So they set up these camps for them, you know, to help help them or whatever. So the aliens were kind of quarantined. They were, but quarantined. they had a lack of food. Lack of food, so they kind of shuffle supplies. But bro, they're sort of aliens, you know. Like I don't know, what do you yeah. do? You can't just let them live with us because they're kind of whatever. So it's kind of <laughs> that situation. So it was less about fighting them. It was less about that. It was more about some other issue. Yeah, and I guess you'd have to figure that if an alien element made it here, they're pretty advanced. Yeah. They got some technology. So I don't think we're going to be coming up against the, the JV team. No, right? that, that's what that show was saying. The too. JV team isn't going to show up on Earth. No. Right? Because how did they get here? They designed some kind of a spaceship yeah. that got here. These are some these are some Elon Musk-level smart well, people. Well, then again, technically, uh, sure, that, but that does that indicate... Or does that um, does that prove that they're going to be squared away in all ways? You know, maybe they just have this new technology; they can do this stuff. But yeah, does but that if you mean can make a spaceship that can get here, I mean, you had to you had to fight to get here. This was not easy. Yeah, but that's a different kind of fight when you think about it. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? It's kind of like you know, oh, maybe they're just people that if ne- imagine if they just didn't even have the concept of violence, right? Yeah, like it like just was war, to- yeah. it just was totally foreign to them. Yeah, and so they could show up here. 
And the first one that you know tries to do something, somebody just hits him in the head with a bat. Yeah, no, <laughs> and they're, they're like, just all shocked. Oh yeah, all confused yeah. and what? Yeah. But is that even possible that there's a group that just has no comprehension of violence? If there is, you know what they'd be? They'd be aliens because you know, you see what I'm saying things work different. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? So what, you know how like um, every <laughs> once in a while, like you'll you'll get a situation where I don't know. This and, turned into a grounded uh, podcast real quick. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking of something real like ambiguous actually right now. But let's say okay, let's say you're you're the alien. You mm-hmm. go to a distant planet. And you're like, we're gonna take over. So we're gonna we're gonna bring this poison. This poison is like the most lethal poison ever created here. So we're gonna take this and we're just gonna exterminate them all like that's how so we're gonna go and then you go to this distant galaxy mm-hmm. you go to their planet whatever perfect for you know perfect just like earth whatever and you go you start spraying this poison and, and they're this, licking it up yeah they're like oh my gosh it solves like a bunch of their problems and makes them super you know it's like that mm-hmm. kind of situation I'm just saying it doesn't <laughs> prove that just because they know how to travel through dimensions or whatever yeah. it doesn't mean they're going to be successful in everything. You see what I'm saying? It could, could be the opposite. Right on. All right. Well, <sighs> protracted war. That's where we were at. Yes, sir. Mao's theory of protracted war outlines three-phased politico-military approach. Strategic defensive. This is where the enemy and in this case, you're flip-flopping back and forth on who's the enemy, but the enemy, meaning the government, has stronger forces, so you're in defense. Then stalemate, where you're doing guerrilla operations, and then offensive is when you actually have beat down the government forces enough that you can actually have a real war with them, almost like a conventional war. Mm -hmm. And then it talks about how you can go, these stages, you can go, you can go, through one stage, you can skip a stage, you can come back to the stage. So that's what happens with protracted war. It's very hard to, speaking of protracted war, it's very hard to get the submission mm. on the insurgents. Because mm. every time you get them, get them in a chokehold, they slip out and they slip away, right? Yeah. And now you can't go and find them because they slip back in with the local populace. Mm. So you, you've got to kind of, you know, check for that so that's protracted popular war they got traditional many contemporary insurgencies fit a more traditional approach based on clan tribe or ethnic group such insurgency typically has an entire community join the effort as a whole bringing with them their existing social and military hierarchy the primary struggle in an internal war is to mobilize people in a battle for legitimacy and I think that word legitimacy and legit is one of the thing that made me start thinking, maybe I should do the, the counterinsurgency manual. Because think about how often that happens in an organization. The leader is either legitimate or not. Mm. And if you're, if you're not considered legitimate, everything is hard. Yeah. And if people think you're legitimate, everything is that much easier. So when you are acting as a leader and you do things that negate or detract from your legitimacy, you're doing a whole lot more damage than you think you are. Every time you use your authority in an abusive way, your legitimacy goes down. Every time you tell a lie, your legitimacy goes down. Every time you do the right thing, your legitimacy goes up. Yeah, Yeah, I feel like you know when people will say, 
I demand respect. Mm-hmm. You know, like yep. that thing. You automatically just lost respect. Yeah, kind of, right? <laughs> yeah. Where it's because that it's not really hey, how. And like, by the way, you don't even have to say that. You can just act like that. Yeah. Just act like you demand respect. Yeah, like call me sir. Yeah. Damn it, kind of thing. I'm not saying there's anything wrong calling someone sir or whatever, but you know that kind of stuff. Like they'll harp on that kind of stuff. Like mm-hmm. you can tell someone's reaction when they're reacting to this detail, where it's like, oh, bro, you're, you know, like I see what you're doing right now. It, you're basically saying like I, I demand, demand respect. respect. I'm not gonna. I mean, me earning it, that's a whole different thing. You see what I'm saying? But you do. You just better give it to me, kind of thing. So it's like one of those, you know, if you're illegitimate, that tends to be like what it looks like. If you're mm-hmm. legitimate, it tends to not be what it looks like. It's just a good little framework to think of, to to filter your actions through. Yeah. Does this make me more or less legitimate? Yeah. Mobilization means there are five means to mobilize popular support. Persuasion, coercion, reaction to abuses, foreign support, apolitical motivations. A mixture of them may motivate anyone individuals so persuasion uh, political social security and economic benefits entice people to support one side or the other this is where you're like hey we're gonna take care of you coercion this is the carrot and the stick right persuasion is the carrot coercion is the stick you either get on board with what we're doing or we're gonna give you a beat down reaction to abuses this one is important a government that abuses its people or is, is tyrannical generates resistance to its rule Think about that from a leadership perspective. Think about all those three things from a leadership perspective. You can either use persuasion, you can use co- so carrot, stick, and then reaction to abuses. So if your abuses, if you abuse people as a leader, they're gonna have been injured, maltreated, victimized, dishonored, or had close friends or relative killed by the government, particularly by security forces, may lash back at their, at their attackers. So when you're abusive to people, it's gonna come back at you. It adds fuel to the insurgency. Mm. So you're saying the insurgency will use that? Oh yeah. Like well, that's in the yes, other that, that's how you get people to come on board. If I right, show up right. at your house and I was like, hey Echo, I was real sorry to hear about your brother. Yeah, this you know, guy's. I'm really sorry to hear about your brother. I can't believe that they did that to you. Yeah. I can't believe the government security forces did that to your brother. Yeah. Do you wanna fight back? Yeah, yeah. Here's what we're doing. Yeah, yeah. You see where I'm going with yeah. this? So that what does that mean? That means that when you're fighting an insurgency, you can't add fuel to that fire. You have to be very careful yeah. in how you act towards the populace because the populace, because the insurgents will utilize your abusive actions to bolster their cause. Foreign support, obviously you can have People on the outside that like to see that that want to support some insurgent inside of a country, apolitical motivations. These are here's criminals, mercenaries, people attracted by the holy warrior's romantic status, and others whose self images of being a warrior and a fighter for a cause might also join an insurgency. I think you saw a lot of that in ISIS. People that were just criminals mm-hmm. and just wanted to go get get crime on. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, it wasn't like they were promising a whole bunch of nice stuff in yeah. in the Islamic State. Yeah. Uh, well, other than authorized rape of yeah. you know women, children, girls, and boys. There was, you know, I'm not gonna say how I saw this, but 
I saw some ISIS promo videos. Mm-hmm. Like promo. Like yeah. I don't know that they were recruiting videos. Oh no, I've seen some of those videos. too. But it was like a promo, like an advertisement for this cool like club kind of thing. Yeah. I was like, dang it. Oh wait, were they ones that were uh like insanely violent? No. Oh, so they were just kind of real positive? Yeah. And it would hmm. show like yeah they were probably, well, there was a there was a whole bunch of them and yes they're the insanely violent one that were kind of like produced a little bit yeah. you know that was yeah that was kind of odd it was like weird because um, I don't I don't know who they were marketing to I mean I couldn't relate to the audience that they were marketing to we'll say that but yeah the and the other one the nice one was odd because of like what everything else they've been putting out you know then it was like almost like this utopian commercial. Yeah, that's the that's a crazy world of, I guess, social media. Yeah. Might have you heard my new term for the social media? Yes, emotional media. Yeah. It's not only for social media; it's actually all oh, media. Yeah, yeah. Because every media right now is just emotional media. Yeah. How can we make everyone hyper emotional? Yeah. What story can we show to make everyone freak out? Let's do that. What video can I tweet or share on? The gram to make people get super crazy. Oh yeah, let's do that. Yeah, which one can we can people retweet? That's a big one where they'd be like, okay, this is like super retweetable because you're gonna get all fired up, Mm -hmm. and then you're gonna say something along the lines in your head. You can say something along the lines of, of, can you believe this guy said this? Boom, Boom, retweet. Everyone who agrees with you, boom, they're going to feel the same way. Hopefully retweet too. People well, it's also actually some people that weren't really thinking about it see that and they go, wait. Yeah. What? Yeah. Oh, yeah. They yeah. get emotional. Yeah. And then you get a, f- a whole f- millions of people. Yeah. Um, next little sections is about causes. A cause is a principle or movement militantly defended or supported. Insurgents may create artificial contradictions using propaganda and misinformation. Insurgents have much to gain by not limiting themselves to a single cause. Insurgents employ deep-seated strategic causes as well as temporary local causes, adding or deleting them as circumstances demand. So you get this sort of whatever your whatever your uh, problem is with the government. Like if you're an insurgent in Iraq, people, people they, you know, not only do they say, well, well, in Iraq it was, you know, the, the Ba'athists have been in charge forever. And not only that, but we don't have whatever, you know, we don't, we don't sell our oil. We don't, we don't get enough money for our oil. Whatever grievance you have becomes part of something that we adopt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that can happen inside any team. Right. What starts off is, you know, if you're mad, you know, I'm telling, I'm mad because we're using a new method and you're mad because... We didn't get a pay raise. Mm. Guess what? Now we got it. We're both. I'm mad about yeah. both now. Oh, yeah. I'm going to adopt. You're damn right. We need more money. Yeah. And that's how the insurgencies grow. Yeah. They start adopting all these different problems. Yeah. All these different causes. Unify yeah. them into one giant cause. Yeah. So it like solidifies the yeah. like enemy. Oh, like yeah. that's the enemy versus us. <sighs> Any country ruled by a small group with a broad, without broad popular participation provides a political cause for insurgents. Exploited or repressed social groups by the entire class, be they entire classes, ethnic groups, or small elites may support larger causes in reaction to their own or narrower grievances. So again, 
as a leader, when you're looking at your team, internal, see that you might be getting multiple causes turned against you. Next section's about mobilizing resources. And obviously insurgents, well, resort to tactics such as guerrilla warfare and terrorism, not only because of their disadvantages in manpower organization, but also because they usually begin with limited or inadequate resources compared to the counterinsurgent. So that's why you end up with guerrilla warfare, Mm. asymmetrical warfare. They talk about money, they talk about insurgency and crime, sustainment requirements often drive insurgents into relationships with organized crime or into criminal activities themselves. This is absolutely true. I know the Iraqis had all kinds of crime going on, or the the insurgents had all kinds of crime going on, smuggling and black markets and the whole nine yards to try and pay for what they were doing. And then, you know, in Afghanistan, they got this massive drug trade to support the insurgency. So that's definitely something that can be problematic. Elements of insurgency, leaders, combatants, political cadre, auxiliaries, and mass base. Leaders control the insurgent movement. They are the idea people and the planners. They usually exercise leadership through force of personality, the power of revolutionary ideas. Isn't that interesting, the power of revolutionary ideas? Isn't it kind of interesting? Like you always hear me talk about how uh, I, I was a rebellious kid, and I'm even, I'm, I was rebellious in my Navy career, without a doubt. I was rebellious, I always have that kind of rebellious thing. But this, the idea that the power of revolutionary idea, uh, of revolutionary ideas, there's like a natural human kind of, there's a natural human draw to that. Mm-hmm. And you know what, my best example of that, which you, my friend mm-hmm. will give me a full salute and credit for. Yeah, right. You know what it is? Mm. What is the what is the insurgency that you think of that everyone is drawn to and everyone supports? Insurgency that everyone draws. Every just about every human being supports one particular insurgency. I don't know. Individual responsibility, no. I guess. What? Star Wars. <laughs> Or what, the, what, the show, the movie. Yeah, the movie. Who are right. the? Who, what, oh, what's the, the name? Of, the rebels. Yeah. Right. They're revolutionary. That's what's happening. Yeah. Why does? Why do these revolutionaries? Why does Che Guevara, you know, have this T-shirt that everyone? Because he's a revolutionary. Sure. Right. People like that. Yeah. Is there just some weird? It's. I, I guess it's. Can be kind of like rooting for the underdog. Yeah. Maybe there's some kind of some kind of attraction to that yeah, yeah. that just naturally exists. That's why when we watch Star Wars, no no one says, hey, I hope the Empire wins, yeah. right? There's and no one saying that. Even the name, the Empire, they, I see I see what, you, yeah, what, what's going on there. I mean, it, it's the American Revolution, right? Mm. The revolutionary ideas. Yeah, yeah. People like that kind of thing. Yeah, huh. Yeah, the under, I mean, that's a common story. You know why, story. I guess, you know why, I'm, as I'm thinking through it psychologically, you know what you like about it? You know what's naturally attractive about it? You take all your grievances in life. Yeah. 
right? If I don't don't make enough money. I didn't yeah. end up where I wanted to end up. My girlfriend dumped me. My boyfriend dumped me. I don't like my house. I don't like my car. I don't like my apartment. Whatever grievances you have, mm-hmm. you can package all those things up and you can point a finger at them and you can say, those yeah. things are all wrong. Yeah. I'm being revolutionary over here. Yeah. Yeah, and you identify with that. I mean, back to the movie thing where... You identify with go. that I person. Blew, I really you know, <laughs> opened up a door. Nah, you're the one who said Star Wars. You're yeah. the one who says. So you think. What are they called? Just the rebellion? What are they called? The rebels. The rebels. Yeah. Rebels. Rebel base. The, yeah. The yeah, rebellion see? in the Senate. Yeah. This, yeah. And rebellion. you support them. They're the underdog. Versus the empire. Yeah. But that's most. That I don't want to say most movies because I haven't seen most movies. But that's a lot of movies. The underdog. Bro, For that's, sure. It kind of. To be honest. It seems like all of them. Like bro, Karate Kid. Freaking Rudy. I don't, yeah. I don't know. Name. Rambo, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. What, whatever movies you watch or whatever. Yeah, yeah The Underdog. Yeah. <sighs> so those are the leaders. They're going to capitalize on the power of revolutionary ideas. Isn't it? Even in marketing, hmm. right? Even in marketing, people are like, this is a revolutionary new pair of sneakers or phone or whatever, right? Yeah. Everyone is attracted to that idea. Well, remember on Rambo, First Blood, Part mm-hmm. 2, this that time where... He was hiding in the wall. Oh yeah, it, it wasn't the wall; it was the mud. mud. It was yeah. the mud wall, essentially, in, the, in you know, in Vietnam or whatever. And like he opened his eyes, you could only see his eye. Mm-hmm. And then he like undoes his fingers first, you know. Then he mm-hmm. comes out and kills everybody. That <laughs> at the time was a revolutionary idea. Like, oh, he hid in the mud right there. That was kind of dope the way he did it. You see what I'm saying, <laughs> bro? I think you just, I think you just nailed it. But it, I it's think true. You just captured it all. Oh, man. Yeah, I think yeah. you just captured it all. <laughs> More or less. Uh, Combatants. Combatants do the actual fighting and provide security. There's the political cadre. The cadre is the political core of the insurgency. They're actively engaged in the struggle to accomplish the insurgent goals. Auxiliaries are active sympathizers. Active sympathizers who provide important support services. And then you get the mass base. And these are followers of the insurgent movement supporting the populace and again so inside your organization inside your team you can identify who these people are when there's an insurgency going on mm. right there's the leaders of it mm. that kind of guess they have this advantage of they're standing up to the man right they're revolutionary mm. so they got a little advantage there yeah. there's combatants that are actually going to try and make things happen Mm-hmm. There's this cadre that's out there kind of, you know, th- running their mouths and sowing seeds of discontent. Mm. There's Then there's sympathizers and the mass base. So if you can identify who these people are, you can realize what you need to do to disrupt this insurgency from happening. Mm. And isn't it weird that as we talk about this, I just had this instinct right now, even in my own head, just right now as we're having this conversation, even I sympathize with the insurgents. In like talking, I'm, I'm thinking about oh, I got this new idea and the man and all that stuff. Yeah. That's real. Yeah, that's real stuff that you feel. Yeah. Maybe I, you think it's because we're American, or is it a global thing? Like, are we American that we're raised? Hey, you know, we're we're Americans. We're revolutionary. Mm. We rebelled against the king. Yeah, maybe. We made our own country. We won't stand for this kind of. You know what I mean? That's yeah. America. Yeah. But there's but the thing is it's universal. I feel like it's universal, yeah, because it's kind of like the, our need for balance. So you get like someone who's just starts out their starting point as an underdog, whether it be in a movie or in 
life or just in any situation that you're presented with, if someone feels like an underdog, it just feels like an imbalance of some sort, power imbalance, Mm -hmm. whatever kind of imbalance. So we kind of, part of our mind, I think anyway, this is what it feels like when I experience it. Part of your mind kind of wants it to be more balanced. We want him to get out of that underdog situation. Mm -hmm. So when he does, it's like, it's almost like a feeling of satisfaction, you know? It's almost like it feels like justice or something like yeah. that. It's like it feels so unfair, unbalanced that this mm-hmm. the empire's we huge. just like seeing you the see underdog win. Yeah, that's that's what it is. What why it is? I think it's what it feels like. I, I guess that's a, that's the traditional heroic. That's what it is. Yeah. That it's the it's the traditional. It's one of the traditional whatever there are four heroic journeys. Mm-hmm. One of those heroic journeys is you know David and Goliath. The yeah. little guy stands up to the big guy, yeah. and we all appreciate that. There's Rocky Four. Which Drago. One is, is that Drago? Drago? Yeah, 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 for sure. That was a good one. <laughs> really good. Uh, dynamics of an insurgency. You got leadership objectives, ideology, environment and geography, external support and sanctuaries, phasing and timing, leadership we know about. Um, one thing they say is extreme decentralization results in a movement that rarely functions as a coherent body. So usually insurgents, insurgencies are super decentralized, decentralized which means they have a hard time sort of coordinating mass mass movements together mm-hmm. objectives they got to have clear objectives they got their ide- ideology and narrative narratives a, a word that gets thrown around all the time what's mm-hmm. the story that we're telling mm-hmm. right and how do we fit everything into the story that we're telling Ideas are a motivating factor in insurgent violence. Insurgencies gather recruits and amass popular support through ideological appeal. Recruits are often young men suffering from frustrated hopes and unable to improve their lot in life. It's what I just said. The insurgent group provides them identity, purpose, and community in addition to physical, economic, and psychological security. I mean, how just blatantly obvious is that? The movement's ideology explains its followers' tribulations and provides a course of action to remedy those ills. Yep. Yeah, man. I think again, back to that balance thing, you know, mm-hmm. where we kind of want that. Like, think about this too. Where okay, there's this place. I don't know where. I, uh, Ireland. It wasn't Ireland. I don't think. I don't know. It was somewhere where you get like criminals, bad criminals, murders, like rapist type guys or whatever, and. The in jail, and it's not even called jail, I don't think. Mm-hmm. It's it's essentially a rehab center. But in the rehab center, this is what you get. You get like pets and you get, it's essentially like a, a for therapy to rehabilitate them. So there's punishment and then there's rehabilitation, right? They, they focus on no punishment. It's just rehabilitation. And apparently from what I read or whatever, it's like pretty successful. That's good. Uh, um, here's the thing though with that, it feels super unsatisfying. Cause you get a guy who raped, you know, a lady killed her and then killed the husband or something like that. For example, he goes, no punishment. He goes to this place where he gets pets. He gets, um, he can hang with girls. Mm -hmm. He can, he makes friends. He gets like, um, he learns like stuff, skills and stuff like that. He doesn't, he's not locked in a cell. Mm -hmm. He's at a, like a little resort kind of thing. Even, even murderers, even murders. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. So yeah, there's no punishment part of it. So what, so where's the no satisfaction come in? Yeah. If, 
that the person, the victim of this criminal is like your wife or something, and this guy gets to go to a resort. Oh, you're saying they, the victims have no satisfaction, no satisfaction. in seeing this rehabilitation exactly. take place. Exactly. They just right. want to go blood for blood. Yeah, it seems like that imbalance still remains because this guy gets to improve his life after he killed my yeah. wife. Meanwhile, are you sure it's murderers and everything? Uh, yeah, that's what I read. That's why to yeah, me it was so impactful. Problematic. I don't know how yeah. well that would work here. Yeah, because you get some. You get some vengeance going down. Oh, yeah. Time. But here was the thing. And the point of the article was that there was um, like the what do you call it when you go back to like you go to jail and then you get out. Then you go back to jail. It's like going rec- back recidiv- to going back to jail. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was Recidivism. Say, yeah. It's like relapse kind of thing. Yep. Um, the rate was so astronomically good that no one went back to jail. It was like that. It was like it was so effective at rehabilitating the person. But. Meanwhile, when you think about it, man, there's still this massive imbalance. It's like people wouldn't be very happy with that. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. But as a society, like as a whole, as far as groups, as far as criminals getting rehabilitated, which, I mean, how can you be against criminals being rehabilitated? It's hard to be against that, you know? But we still don't get that satisfaction. We need that, you know? It's like that imbalance, that being balanced. Well, I I just, back to this here, just this idea that you have, and it, it says... Uh, you know, young men. <laughs> you know, that's who that's who we're talking about. We're talking about young men that are that are unable to improve their lot in life. Mm. And this is you how how you end up with these people getting drawn into these super, um, usually extremist type organizations. Mm. The most powerful ideologies tap latent emotive concerns of the populace, such as the desire for justice, religious beliefs or liberation from foreign occupation. Ideologies provide a prism including a vocabulary and analytical categories through which the situation is assessed. Thus, ideology can shape the movement's organization and operational method. You know what's interesting? You start tracking on that, what did they call it here? Vocab, just vocabulary is what they call it. But you know, you track any sort of organization that's out there that sort of has a you know how you look at some some things, you go, that's kind of got a weird culty feeling to yeah, it. Yeah. One of the main things that gives something a culty feeling is when you hear the vocabulary yeah. that's all being used and it's all not just used, but it's used as like this weird kind of way to answer any questions and circular arguments and it always comes back to these things and you're like, oh, this is getting kind of funky over here. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Very strange. Um, environment and geography, external support and sanctuaries. These are all just really getting into some of the details. I, I'll, I will stop at this one, though. Phasing and timing. Insurgencies often pass through common phases of development. Not all insurgencies experience such phase development, and progression through all phases is not a requirement for success. So there's different phases that you can go through, and like I said earlier, and this is why you got to pay attention you don't have to go through every phase. You don't start at phase one, go to phase two, then phase three, and then you defeat it at phase three. No, you can still go back to phase two. Mm-hmm. You defeat phase two, they go back to phase one. Then you think, oh, I think we're under control. Then they go to two again. Then they, So they go back and forth. You've got to pay attention to that. Mm-hmm. Talks about insurgent networks. Here's some of those insurgent vulnerabilities. Secrecy. Because they got to keep a secret, sometimes they have trouble getting the word out there. Mobilization, it can be hard for them to to mobilize support. 
for for a couple reasons. Uh, one of the things they talk about here is to mobilize their base to support insurgent groups use a combination of propaganda and intimidation, and they may overreach in both. Counterinsurgents should be able to use information operations to exp- effectively exploit inconsistencies in the insurgents' message as well as their excessive uses of force for intimidation. Mm-hmm. So definitely in Iraq, the insurgents went overboard in trying to intimidate people, mm-hmm. and it pissed off the local populace, mm-hmm. and it definitely pissed off the sheikhs in the Battle of Ramadi. Like, mm-hmm. they got pissed, and some of them left and fled. Some of them got scared, but some of them got mad, mm-hmm. and the local populace was saying we're not as soon as they saw that there was enough american presence and iraqi government presence to say okay thank you for being here we'll help you get these get bad guys out they were on board mm-hmm. financial weakness it's tough for them to find funding internal divisions this is an important one to pay attention to counterinsurgents must remain alert for signs of divisions within an insurgent movement again when you're dealing with a group of people and they're all masked against you, look for those cracks. Look for ways that they're not sort of in unison. Yeah. And if you can exploit and expand those cracks, all of a sudden you can break down that their unification, which is a positive thing. And isn't it weird? Again, I have this little guilty thing in the back of my head that's like, ah, I don't want to break down you know, the, the rebels. Because right. Right? I've been programmed by Star Wars to support the rebels, and by the American Revolutionary War. That's who I identify with. We identify with the rebels. Yep. Yeah, I'll tell you an example of that. You ever watch The Matrix? And I know this is, I know I'm real movie heavy, this episode. I've watched it, I like saw it one time in the theater, so I don't remember much about it. So there's this guy, I forget his name. Uh, the guy from Bad Boys. Anyway, you you know him. He's an actor. Um, he. Uh, oh, I definitely know him then. <laughs> he's, uh, what was his name? Not Apoc. Anyway, it doesn't matter. So basically, he's. So you know what the Matrix is about, right? Yeah, yeah, Everyone's yeah. plugged in the Matrix, it, yeah. and then meanwhile, Morpheus, uh, Lawrence Fishburne, Morpheus mm-hmm. saves all these people fr- from the Matrix, mm-hmm. right? And the the real reality is. You know, the tough, only man. thing I remember this whole movie is when. I think uh, the main character says jujitsu. I know jujitsu. <laughs> That's what I remember. Yes, he, yeah. He Trying to jiu-jitsu. get that download. Yeah, he got that. Yeah, for sure. So Morpheus plucks everyone everyone out of the Matrix. Matrix is like everyday life. Mm-hmm. You know, just look at a job and whatever you're living life or whatever. When you get plucked out of the Matrix, the real reality is a straight up dystopia. Mm-hmm. Straight up machines running everything. You're living in you know in post apocalyptic times. Mm-hmm. So this one guy. It starts to weigh on him apparently, and he's like, "Bro, I don't even like this. I kind of liked it better in the Matrix, being ignorant." So he ends up teaming with the agents, which is like the agents of the Matrix, right, these right, little right. guys that roll around right. and and betraying the rebels. That's what that is right there. That when when you get you find little slight divisions mm-hmm. and then you exploit yes. them, you know, and yes. he, and it and he <laughs> he ran the risk of bringing down the whole team. See what I'm saying? Wait, which team? You know, Morpheus and the team. But he wanted to do that, right? Yeah. Yeah, so he didn't run the risk. He could have. Yeah. It wasn't a risk to him. He wanted to. Yeah, yeah. I'm so he is, does, he t- does he take the blue pill? Is that right? No, he wished. He said, and this is what indicates that there was a fracture in it, just a little bit of a division. When he, it was like one of the early scenes with him, he was talking to Neo, the main, the one, the, mm-hmm. the main character. And he was like, you're thinking this. Along, I'm paraphrasing. He's like, 
why didn't I take the blue pill? He was like saying like, oh, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking that. Meanwhile, I don't know if that was what he, you know, the blue pill is like you stay in the matrix. Right. Red pills you see, you know. So basically he was indicating that he was sort of thinking of like that he regretted it a little bit kind of thing. You know, Mm. that was like the little fracture that they showed in the story. But then, yeah. So yeah, they almost uh, they almost lost, but you know, Matrix or, or uh, Morpheus, Neo, they're, they're very powerful. They were able to keep it real. Yes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This is the Hollywood Podcast <laughs> okay. with Echo Charles and Echo Charles. <laughs> Aspects of the counterinsurgency. This is so all that kind of. It, I hate to say that was like the introduction, but. This is where we get into aspects of counterinsurgency. This, so this is how we actually overcome the insurgency. In almost every case, the counterinsurgent faces a populace containing an active minority supporting a government and a similar militant faction opposing it. And they kind of lay out, oh, it's pretty much like a bell curve. Whatever the cause, there will be an active minority that totally supports the cause. There'll be a neutral or passive. That's the majority of people are just, hey, we don't really care. And then you've got an active minority against the cause, which this is something important to think about in life, especially in, well, like right now in America, yeah. the, you, who do you hear from? You hear from the two way far extreme ends of the spectrum. Yeah. Everyone else is just, you know, just trying to live a life and do the right thing and feels you know, considers things sort of as a group, you know, like all, all pretty much the same. Yeah. Hey, this is, this is, yeah, this makes sense. This doesn't make sense. Yeah. This is smart. This isn't smart. Yeah. And then there's people on the spectrums. I mean, on the outside of the spectrum that are jumping up and down screaming and getting mm-hmm. crazy. Oh, yeah. They are not the majority of humans. They're a small number of people. Yeah. But boy, they make a lot of noise. They call them what the vocal minority. Yeah, yeah. The silent majority. Yeah, I think so. Silent majority was Nixon originally said that. Yeah. Upon assuming coin mission, soldiers and Marines must not only be prepared to identify their opponents and approaches to insurgency they are applying. Counterinsurgents must also understand the broader strategic context within which they are operating. So you need to think about the bigger picture, obviously. Historical principles. Number one, legitimacy is the main objective. The primary objective of any counterinsurgent is to foster the development of effective governance by legitimate government. All governments rule through a combination of consent and coercion. Now think about that from a leadership perspective. All leaders, just think if I said all leaders rule through a combination of consent and coercion. That makes sense, right? Mm -hmm. You're coercing people to do and they're consenting, they're saying, okay, we'll do it. Governments described as legitimate rule primarily with the consent of the governed. While those ruled as illegitimate tend to mainly rely on coercion, like making and forcing people to do things, which you probably heard me say this at echelon front events, you know, when I, I'm always saying, well, I never really had to order anyone to do anything. Mm-hmm. We would just kind of talk about it and things would happen. Why? Because I was legitimately in these positions. I wasn't there just, hey, I got, 
I, I have the rank and that's why I'm in this position. Like, no, I have some experience. I listen to other people. Like, that's what's good. Citizens obey the state. Oh, this is talking about the illegitimate. So if you're an illegitimate leader, the citizens obey the state for fear of the consequences of doing otherwise rather than because they voluntarily, voluntarily accept its rule. A government that derives its power from the governed tends to be accepted by the citizens as legitimate. So if you're, if you're elected, right, if that's where you got your power from, then it's usually considered legitimate. It still uses coercion, for example, against criminals, but the bulk of the population voluntarily accepts its govern- governance. In Western liberal tradition, a government that derives its just powers from the people and responds to their desires while looking out for their welfare is accepted as legitimate. So that's your goal as a leader. And any time that you rely on a leader, on your rank, on your authority, on your power, anytime you're doing that, you're taking away from your legitimacy. Legitimacy makes it easier for the state to carry out its key functions, which include the capability to regulate social relationships, extract resources and appropriate and appropriate or use resources in determined ways. Governance that is not legitimate is inherently unstable because as soon as the state's coercive power is disrupted, the population ceases to obey it. This is when you hear me talking about, hey, you might be, you, you know, if I if I bark and if I'm your boss and I say, Echo, you better wear your gloves when you're in this compound or I'm going to fire you, mm-hmm. right? You're going to do it. Mm-hmm. But when I'm not there, you're not going to do it. No. Wait, yeah. So, so this is why that type of leadership doesn't work. Coercive leadership, threatening people. That's why it doesn't work. It's not freaking legitimate. Yeah. <clears throat> Five indicators of legitimacy can be used to analyze. Frequent selection of leaders in a manner considered just and fair by a substantial majority of the population. That, inclu- that includes... Po- uh, promotions, right? If people are getting promoted for good reasons that make sense, then they're considered to be more legitimate. A high level of popular participation in or support for the political process, a low level of corruption. When you as a leader do things that you know aren't right, when you make little maneuvers that you shouldn't be making, guess what? Mm-hmm your level of legitimacy goes down. You need to maintain the high ground. A culturally acceptable level or rate of political, economic, and social development, a high level of regime acceptance by major social institutions. Governments that score high in these categories probably have the support of an adequate majority of the population. As as leaders that score well in these areas are also gonna have a high level of support. Military action can address these symptoms of a loss of legitimacy. However, restoring legitimacy can only be accomplished using all instruments of national power. Without the host nation government achieving legitimacy, COIN cannot succeed. So you can beat people down all day long. That doesn't give you legitimacy. You can solve tactical problems with military might with brute force doesn't help you 
you can't win. You can't win with that. Mm. Isn't it crazy to think this big military manual, you cannot win with just military force. You cannot beat someone into submission. Mm. It doesn't work. Well, it doesn't work on a long, long-term scale. Yeah. Couple other things here. Unity of effort is essential. That's true with any leadership. Political factors are primary. Uh, one of the generals from Mao Zedong's Central Committee once stated that Revolutionary War was 80% political action and 20% military action. 80% of it is political action. 80% of it is maneuvering. <laughs> Understand the local environment. You have to do this. Here's a couple. Uh, the local population is critical center of gravity of an insurgency. Successful conduct of counterinsurgency operation depends on thoroughly understanding the society and culture within which they are being conducted. Soldiers and Marines must understand the following about the population area of, in the area of operations. How key groups of society are organized, relationships and tensions above them, ideologies and narratives that resonate with the groups, group interests and motivations, means by which groups communicate, the society's leadership system. And what's so funny about this is at Echelon Front, when we go and consult with a company, these are the things that we're trying to figure out during our assessment phase. Hmm. We're trying to figure out, okay, we, we figure out how their task organized, what's the, what are they set up like, then we start going, what are the relationships? Where are the tensions? Hmm. Then what narratives resonate with the group, hmm. with the different groups? Right, you got the frontline leaders that are saying, "Oh, they never do that." You got the senior leadership that's saying, "Oh, what would they know?" You see what I'm saying? There's little narratives that we're trying. Group interests and motivations. You got to know what those are. Means by which the groups communicate. How do they actually talk to each other? Is there an open line of communication? So these are all things that we look at to figure out how we fix leadership inside of a company. Do you? Do you do that because, like, did you get that straight from here, or do you just happen to do that and boom, there's a parallel? Well, we don't just happen to do that. In order to solve the problems inside of a of a company, you have to understand these things. Right, right. But you, you know, you knew that for sure. Yes. Yeah. And so, but did you get it from there? I get what you're saying. No, I didn't get it from this. Gotcha. But when you know the way broadly you see it in all things yeah, yeah, yeah. and i'm sure that's, that's, as i worked with companies you start saying well how's your relationship with that department over there you know yeah, <laughs> and yeah. and hey so so explain to me wh- what you think where you think the company's going right mm. what's the what's the narrative it just lines up yeah because you have to figure these things out do you go in kind of like good cop bad cop you know when you, you don't have in, to you don't have you don't really oh, have yeah, to have oh, good yeah. cop bad cop because yeah. because Everybody knows that we're there to help, yeah. right? There's no, we're not trying to bust them. We're trying to help. Right, And yeah, so yeah, that's true. people tell us everything that they, you know, they, they, they're they very open and honest with us. Yeah. Do you, do you ever do like little sly things? Like, and I guess I shouldn't say sly because mm-hmm. you know how like if you're really trying to ask this question, but you can't just come out and ask that question because you can't expect them to just come out and give you that straight dope answer. You, so you kind of ask these other questions to kind of get a frame. What you want to know is, are there interrogation tactics that are being utilized when we're interviewing the personnel that we are consulting? <laughs> yeah. That's yes. your question. Yes, sir. Of course. Yeah. You know? But, I mean, it's not, they're, you're right that they're not sly. 
Right. It's like we're getting information from people that they want to tell us. It's not it's not we don't have to set them up or right. coerce them to say things or we don't have to. We talk to them. Yeah. Here's what the advantage that we have is people want their company to be successful. Yeah, yeah. And so when you ask them, "Hey, what works well?" They tell you. When you say, "Hey, are there any issues?" They tell you because yeah. they want they want to have those issues fixed. This is the easiest part of the job is gathering this information. Knowing what information to gather is important, but the easiest part of the job is gathering this information because people are over and they're just they're just more than happy to tell us what's going on. Yeah. Yeah, it makes sense. A <sighs> couple things that are required of soldiers and marines at every echelon when you're when you need to know about the cultural context. You gotta have a clear, nuanced, and empathetic appreciation of the essential nature of the conflict. So you gotta hear and listen to both sides. Wouldn't that, doesn't that make sense? Yeah, and and essentially like have some understanding. Yes, like, like, hey, you and know, empathy. Yeah, yeah, like I can see how you'd think that. I can that. see how you'd think you that. that. I can yeah. see where you're coming from. Yeah. Yeah, That's a good idea to have in your head for life, for, life, for living, bro, for so, being a human. It's so true. Like the idea that like someone just doesn't get where that person's coming from. It's almost like, bro, that's just because a lack of effort, you know? Yeah. And here's the deal. You're missing out. Yeah. You're mi- you're missing out. If I argue with you and I don't listen to what you're saying and I don't see what your viewpoint is, there's no way I can defeat you in an argument. I don't understand you. Yeah. How can I defeat you in an argument unless I understand where you're coming from? Yeah. And and not necessarily even defeat you. How can I find a solution if yeah. I don't understand where you're coming? Because I'm not yeah. looking to defeat you in an argument. That's what you do when you're 20. That's what you yeah. do when you're 23. Defeat people in arguments. Yeah. When you're hopefully. By the time you're 48, like me, you actually don't want to defeat someone. You want to find a solution. Yeah. There's a lot of arguing that happens just broadly. Yeah. I mean, right now we're seeing it all day long, every day in, in the emotional media, social media, mainstream media. It's just total no listening, all talking, no perspective, no empathy. Yeah. It's well, I shouldn't say no, because there are a lot of people that are actually listening, trying to figure out what the solution is. Yeah. But but many people, they don't want to try and figure out what the solution is. They want to defeat the other person in an argument, yeah. which is so pointless. <clears throat> so then you need to understand the motivation, strengths, and weaknesses of the insurgents. That's obviously important. Mm-hmm. You want to conduct intelligence drives driven operations, meaning we want to actually pay attention to what's going on, we want to gather good intel, isolate insurgents from their cause and support. Smart move. Establish security under the rule of law. The cornerstone of any coin effort is security for the civilian population. And this is probably the number two line Mm -hmm. that I stole from this. Thank you, General Mattis. Thank you, General Petraeus, because when I had to start discussing up the chain of command, what we were doing, why we were doing it, it was this line right here. The cornerstone of any counterinsurgency effort is security for the civilian populace. Because what we were doing, tasking a bruiser, was going out and killing bad guys in order to protect the civilian populace. 
and that right there is the cornerstone of counterinsurgency. So we were able to just get all of our missions approved up the chain of command because what we were doing was in support of the cornerstone of, of, of counterinsurgency. Thank you for getting those chapters out early enough that I had this to lean on. Illegitimate actions, this is just so, illegitimate actions by government officials, security forces, and multinational partners are those involving the use of power without authority. Oh, wow. Power without authority. When you use power without authority or you abuse power, you you illegitimize yourself. Every action by counterinsurgents leaves a forensic trace that may need to be used in a court of law. Counterinsurgents document all their activities to preserve, wherever possible, a chain of evidence and, more importantly, as a means to insurgent propaganda. This is epic, and I'll tell you why. Because inside businesses, Mm -hmm. you make some little move. You make some little move and you think no one's going to know it. But it leaves a forensic trace. And and that's just a different way of saying, you you know, I am always telling people everyone's watching you. And if you try and lie to them, they know it. Yeah. That's what's happening. Yeah. That's 100% what's happening. You try and lie to somebody, they know it. You try and make a maneuver on somebody, there's a forensic trace and they know it. Don't do your little maneuvers to try and take care of yourself. <sighs> Prepare for a long-term commitment. Back to that protracted war idea. Here's some contemporary imperatives of counterinsurgency. Manage information and expectations. Achieving steady progress towards a set of reasonable expectations can increase the population's tolerance for the inevitable inconvenience entailed by ongoing counterinsurgency operations. So just setting good expectations. Setting good, realistic expectations and then moving towards them so that you can look around at the team and say, hey, look, we're making progress. This is where we're going and this is how we're getting there. We're making progress. Both the insert, both the counterinsurgent and the host government ensure that their deeds match their words. Do what you say, say what you do. Here's the other thing that triggered me into talking about this. Use measured force. Any use of force generates a series of reactions. There may be times when an overwhelming effort is necessary to intimidate an opponent or reassure the populace, but the type and amount of force to be applied and who wields it should be carefully calculated by a counterinsurgent for any operation. An operation that kills five insurgents is counterproductive if the collateral damage of, of the creation of blood fuels or the creation of blood feuds leads to the recruitment of 50 more. Now this was a little bit strange because there was some of that idea that Oh, every time you kill an insurgent, you create five more. I've, I would definitely hear that. I didn't see it. What I actually saw was the opposite. When we would kill an insurgent, the local populace would be like, okay, 
it was it was they got emboldened they got braver they got tougher they gave us more support why did they say that or what was their thought the thought is hey you know and, and you know if you kill if you know they see you kill uh you know some kid some 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 uh some family member mm. right some family member gets killed and you think, okay, well, we just created you know, five brothers. Right, they're mad. And, and now they're mad. Yeah. But actually, oftentimes, it was like, hey, don't follow what Freddie did. Yeah. We know we know he was do, doing bad stuff, yeah. and he got killed. Mm-hmm. And they kind of got it. And I'll tell you what, they also, to a, gr- to a, a huge extent, understood collateral damage. <laughs> the local populace understood collateral damage. So if we blew up a building or blew up a door and we entered a building and it shattered the windows and it turns out that we, you know, it was either the wrong building or whatever, and we'd say, okay, you know what? Hey, here's a bunch of, we'd give them a bunch of money. We'd apologize. We'd say what happened, explain to them. And they would be like, yeah, well, you are at war. Yeah. You know, they, and they would, and this is how I know that this is real is they'd give us information. Yeah. They'd say, "Oh yeah, you I know who you're looking for. Are you looking for that guy? Yeah, he's he's been gone for 2 weeks." Yeah. And then we'd say, "Yeah, thanks. We you know it's our fault. Here's some money." Yeah. It's weird how like to hear it, you know, cuz you know, you you get whether it be reports or like usually totally. it's from someone someone who ha- has a different I don't want to say agenda necessarily, but you know, like if someone's like against the war or something, mm-hmm. like that's kind of their 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 deal. You know, so they're kind of trying to impose, not impose. They're trying yeah, to convince and, that. And, and I don't want to paint this, you know, beautiful picture because obviously yeah. there's there's uh, there's obviously times where, you know, the there's one of those brother gets killed and one of the other brothers says, "I'm going to go avenge," you know, yeah. go avenge. But you know what? If, think about it. in a family, right? Yeah. The mom and dad. There's four brothers. One of the, the one of the brothers is out doing insurgent stuff, <laughs> sure. yeah. and he gets killed. Yeah. The mom and dad are looking at the other brothers, going, "Hey, do not go and do what your brother." Does that happen all the time? No, not all the time. Sometimes the you know the dad says, "We'll avenge you know we're go avenge your brother." Right. Not usually. Yeah. Yeah. So and then. Yeah, the point is too where you you from the outside you kind of hear someone's argument and you and you kind of like well that makes sense yeah just like how you said where where it's like yeah the brother got killed if your brother got killed you would at the very least have some feelings of Mm -hmm. vengeance at the very least Mm -hmm. not to mention people who live in a war zone who are down for the fight a lot of the time they're gonna see their brother get killed they're gonna be like hell yeah I'm gonna I'm gonna come avenge that that doesn't stick out as a lie to me so yeah and and it is true the problem is it's very simplified. Yeah. Right. Like, because because what's really happening? What's really happening is the dad is going, "Hey, do you remember Saddam Hussein? He was horrible. These Americans came and kicked his ass and got him out of here, and 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 now we're moving in the right direction. Now you want to go fight them? What's wrong with you? And right. then that guy ends up getting killed. And the guy looks at his brother and said, "You see what happens? Yeah, yeah. And see, and when you explain <sighs> that, you're kind of like, oh, well, that makes a lot of sense yeah, too. It's, you know? it's real easy just to." stereotype and throw everyone with a broad brush and say oh they're they everyone thinks like this yeah it's, it's totally not true man not even in a family there'd be some pe- kids would be insurgents some kids wouldn't yeah and that's not to mention like some of the terror that these normal families have been you know absolutely like, inflicted on them and then it's like 
Yeah, okay. It, when you say they understand collateral damage, it's kind of like you, the way you said it is almost like, and which is actually correct from my perspective, where it sounds obvious. Everyone understands collateral damage. You know, like everyone yeah. kind of understands that, you know. But, so why would we assume that they don't? Like everyone should yeah, understand. Yeah, exactly. So when you say it, you're like, well, of course. Because they we we dehumanize. Yeah. We dehumanize the local populace exactly. and think that oh, yeah. they're just. They're, here's a common emotion. You blew up my door. I'm mad. Right, I'm going right. to fight you now. When it's <laughs> when actually you're dealing with human beings, and we yeah. people forget that we're dealing with human beings yeah. that are smart. Right. And they think, oh, you blew up their door. Now they're going to want to plan a roadside bomb. No. Yeah. Actually, when you blow up their door and you say, hey, we were looking for this guy yeah. and he wasn't here. Do you know where he is? Yeah, he's been gone for two weeks. Okay. Hey, sorry about your door. Here's some money. By the way, we're going to send a team out here and hang a new door for you, which we did. Yeah. And they yeah. go, yeah, appreciate it. Yeah. You know, please, please let your friends know that there's no bad guys that live here. And yeah. by the way, the, the only problems we've had on the street is that building down there. Yeah. There's been some people in and out of there. You might want to keep an eye on it. Yeah. Go, okay, cool. Thank you. Yeah. And see, even hearing that, it's like, brother, that makes sense. In fact, that sounds more likely. It, if it you were in like that it. situation, that's you'd what, feel that way. That's what I'm saying. So this idea that every time one, you know, you kill a person, you kill a bad guy, that now five more, it's totally untrue. And not not to mention there's some people that are like, oh, sheesh, I don't want to go get involved with that. Right? right? Yeah. I mean, that's what it's, it, there's a high deterrence level. Yeah. There's a very strong deterrence level because what what people miss out on is just the, like you said, and the way I always explain Iraqi families, I'm like, oh, you want to know what Iraqi family is like? They're like a family. Yeah. They're like a family. And there's be, you know, the dad's got this and the mom's got this going on and the kids and they, you know, they've got a rebellious kid, right? You go into one of the rooms and there's like weird uh, pictures of whatever, you know, Iraqi uh, movie stars. I mean, you know, music <laughs> stars and like... Yeah. It's, they're just, they're just people. And we just paint them with this broad brush of how we think they will react or how we've been told that they'll react. And it's just not true. <clears throat> Gotta learn and adapt. Oh, before I go there, who wields force? Who wields force is also important. Providing the police have a reasonable reputation for competence and impartiality, it is better to let police, and these are police that are local police, handle urban raids rather than soldiers and Marines, even if the police are not as well armed or as capable as military units, since the populace is likely to view that application of force as more legitimate. So you want the Iraqis to handle their own problems. Now, in Ramadi, there was... What made it tricky is a lot of the Iraqi army soldiers were Shia and the local populace in Ramadi was Sunni. That's why as quickly as we could, we got the Sunni policemen, Iraqi policemen that were from Ramadi to start doing these kind of things. Because there was more, in some cases, not in all cases, in some cases there was more tension between the Shia soldiers and the local populace than it was between the Americans and the local populace. Huh. Learn and adapt. An effective counterinsurgent force is a learning organization. Right back to our podcast we did with Dave Burke. Good deal, Dave. Mm -hmm. okay. Empower the lowest levels. Mission command is the conduct of military operations through decentralized execution based upon mission orders for effective mission accomplishment. 
What does that mean? It means hire commanders and power subordinates to make decisions with the commander's intent. They leave details of execution to their subordinates and require them to use initiative and judgment to accomplish the mission. Decentralized command, thank you. Support the host nation. And what the, the little part I wanted to pull out of this support the host nation thing is American forces committed to coin are there to assist a host government. The long-term goal is to leave a host that is capable of standing on its own two feet. Two feet. In that end, the host nation has to win its own war. Achieving this requires the development of viable local leaders and institutions. U.S. forces and agencies can help, but host nation elements must be able to accept responsibility to achieve real victory. And then it goes on to warn that you can't, you can't be the easy button. When something needs to happen, you can't say, okay, well, we're Americans, we can make that happen. No, you need to actually not be the easy button. And this is one of the last sections here. It's called Paradoxes of the Counterinsurgency, which if I would have named this section, would have been called The Dichotomies of Counterinsurgency. Sure. But you know what we're saying. Principles and imperatives discussed above reveal that COIN presents a complex and often unfamiliar set of missions and considerations for a military commander. In many ways, the conduct of a counterinsurgency is counterintuitive to a traditional American view of war. And that right there, that statement is why I'm saying if you're gonna start to overlay warfare principles in your business, in your life, you need to also include counterinsurgency in there because Sometimes they're counterintuitive. Sometimes they're different than traditionally the way you think of war. And I think this attitude, this whole attitude is so important to be able to take war fighting and overlay it into other scenarios. If you only know how to fight a conventional war of attrition, you can't overlay your, those principles over the rest of your life. They won't work all the time. They're not nuanced enough. They don't understand. They don't understand the complexities. And one of those complexities is there's paradoxes and there's dichotomies. Number one, the more you protect your force, the less secure you are. What does that mean? You have to take risks. And when you take risks, when you, when you get outside the wire, when you go work with the local populace, the more secure you'll end up being. So as a leader, if you stay locked up in your office, you feel like you're safe in there because you're not out there you know, getting engaged with people, not getting asked tough questions. Mm-hmm. The, the less secure you are, you need to get out there. Mm-hmm. Next one, the more force used, the less effective it is. Boom. When you're barking orders, when you're you know, yelling at people, when you're, when you're saying you better do this or I'll fire you, whatever, whatever those things are, the more force you use as a leader, the less effective it is. When you use the minimum force required, that's the most powerful. The next is the more successful coin is, the less force that can be used and the more risk that must be accepted. So as you proceed down the path, you need to use less and less force and you have to take more and more risk, which is crazy. The initial reaction to the counterinsurgency push in Ramadi was enemy attacks are going up and American casualties are going up. And guess what? It was true. Mm. So some people up the chain of command 
Not not my chain of command. Well, at, yes, all up the chain of command. Everyone was saying, wait, there's more. What's happening? There's more enemy attacks and there's more American casualties. This isn't working. No, actually, that's exactly what's going to happen. Mm. Sometimes doing nothing is the best reaction. Often an insurgent carries out a terrorist or guerrilla act with the primary purpose of enticing the counterinsurgent to overreact or at least react in a way that can be exploited. If a careful assessment of the effects of a course of action concludes that more negative than positive effects will result, an alternative should be considered potentially including a decision not to act. Now this is, you know, default aggressive. This is not default aggressive. Mm-hmm. Bias for action. This is not taking action, but default aggressive and bias for action. Bias for action is what the Marine Corps says. They want Marines to act. They want them to have a bias to actually do something. They want a bias to take action. Mm -hmm. Default aggressive is echelon front. This is me telling young junior officers in the SEAL team, hey, your default has got to be go take action. Make something happen. But both bias for action and default aggressive, neither one of those say 100% go. Mm -hmm. No, it's default, meaning... That's what your default is, but you might have to adjust it. Mm. Bias for action doesn't mean you take action, it means you lean towards taking action. Mm. Sometimes you need to look at the situation and say, you know what's gonna help here? Nothing. Mm. The best best weapons for coin do not shoot. Counterinsurgents achieve the most meaningful success by gaining popular support and legitimacy for the host government. So how often is it that you as a leader can make more progress by instead of telling someone, no, we're gonna do it my way, instead of shooting them in the face with that, you say, okay, your way sounds good. You make, you increase your legitimacy as opposed to decreasing it when you fire one off in their face. The host nation doing something tolerably is better than us doing it well. Hey, as a leader, when you got a subordinate leader, you know you can do it better than your subordinate. Mm-hmm. But it's oftentimes better to let them do it good enough. If a tactic works this week, it might not work next week. If a if it works in this province, it might not work in the next. You got to keep an open mind. You got to change. You got to adapt. Tactical success guarantees nothing. When Colonel Harry Summers allegedly told a North Vietnamese counterpart in 1975 that, quote, you know you never defeated us on the battlefield, end quote, the reply supposedly was, quote, that may be so but it is also irrelevant, end quote. Military actions by themselves cannot achieve a success in coin. Tactical actions must not only be linked to the operational and strategic military objectives, but also to the essential political goals of coin. Tactical success guarantees nothing. As a matter of fact, it's irrelevant according to this North Vietnamese colonel. Last one, most of the important decisions are not made by generals. It's the 
competence and judgment of soldiers and Marines at all levels. Senior leaders must set the proper tone for actions by their organizations with thorough training and clear guidance and then trust their subordinates to do the right thing. Preparation for the tactical level leaders requires more than service doctrine. They must also be trained and educated to adapt their local situations, understand the legal and ethical implications of their actions, and exercise subordinates initiative and sound judgment to meet their senior commander's intent. You, at a company, in an organization, as the CEO, as the COO, as the president, as the guy in charge, most of the important decisions are not made by you, they're made by someone out there on the front line, so you better lead them correctly. Little section on successful practices and unsuccessful practices. I'll read some of the unsuccessful practices. Place priority on killing and capturing the enemy, not on engaging the population. What does that mean? That means when you have a problem inside your team and all you do is attack like whoever you think is doing it, that's where your priority is. Instead of building relationships with the group, you're wrong. So when you're a little kid and someone, I don't know, broke the water heater Mm -hmm. and no one wants to fess up, so... When your dad comes and says, uh, someone tell me or else you're all, you're all, you'll all get punished. Mm-hmm. Is that sort of the same thing? Like you shouldn't well, do that? That's collective punishing. And it's, I, don't, I, don't, I don't really agree with collective punishing. There are times where it's used, for instance, in team building exercises like SEAL training. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you're going to get that all day yeah, long. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. One person makes a mistake, they're going to make everyone pay. And they're doing that actually to create some sort of friction, yeah. right? What's wrong with you, Akao? <laughs> keep your head under the boat. We're going to keep doing this until Charles gets his head under the boat. Right. Come on, Echo. What's wrong with you? Yeah, it's kind of like a two little pronged mm-hmm. effect, right? One, you, you want to put more heat on that guy because like, letting the team down a lot of times is more punishment than letting yourself down, especially when they're all right there. And then the other part is, yeah, that friction. Mm-hmm. Put some stress on everybody. You know, stress get them, everybody get them out. Used to it. I remember in football, they, they we there's like okay, so you know when you, okay in football you, you say um, you know the, you say what's called the cadence. You say set down, hot or mm-hmm. go or whatever. Right, the quarterback says it, whatever. So if you jump, if you start before the actual count, you know you you call for false start, offsides. Yeah. yeah, depending on office defense, you know people call it different things sometimes. So anyway. There are certain drills like to drill that in your head and it's always it's like an ongoing drill anyway. So if so, if we're going to do like some conditioning or something, it'll be in the conditioning. So everyone will line up. Let's say it's wind sprints. They'll be like, OK, the count is on three. So they go set down, hut, hut, hut on the third hut. Mm-hmm. They go. Some people still jump off sides during the conditioning. You see what I'm saying? It's like a drill that constantly goes. So if one guy jumps off sides. Mm-hmm. Everybody pays for it, and sometimes the guy who'll jump off sides doesn't pay for it. So oh, basically, yeah, they'll call him out, and be like, "You just go ahead and sit down, Charles." Yeah, or basically in a wind sprint situation, the common thing in our situation would be like, "Okay, let's say it's a, a fifty-yard wind sprint, right? Mm-hmm. You start at the at the zero-yard line, and you run to the fifty or whatever." Um, so it's uh, the counts on two, set down, hut. One guy jumps off sides. Echo, Echo jumps off sides. 
Echo stays there. Everyone else goes five yards back. So now they have a 55-yard wind sprint. I only have a 50. I do it again. They go five yards back again. See what I'm saying? So it like it puts way more pressure on you to get it right. So you so you do learn, I think. But some people can get into this weird down, downward spiral because they're so stressed about everyone mad at them now. So they don't even think. So they can't like get their get their act together. It's funny, yeah, but it's, it's a good way to create stress. Yeah, for sure. Uh, some of the successful practices. The, the other unsuccessful practices are, you know, very sort of military-based, conduct battalion-sized operations as the norm. That's too big. Concentrate military forces in large bases for protection. We know that that's not going to work. Focus special operations forces primarily on raiding. Like, hey, we're going to go capture, kill bad guys. That's not where you want to put the focus. You could, you need to do it for sure, but it can't be the focus. Uh, so that so then the, some of the successful practices are emphasize intelligence, focus on the population, their needs, and security. Focus on the population. Focus on the people. Expand, uh, establish and expand security areas. Isolate insurgents from the population. So those are the kind of things that help out. Place police in the lead with military support. We, we, we absolutely tried to do that. We put the Iraqis, we brought the Iraqis with us, we, we put them in the lead. So those are some solid, successful practices. And here's the summary from this first chapter. Counterinsurgency is an extremely complex form of warfare. Truly war at the graduate level. At its core, counterinsurgency warfare is a struggle for the support of the population. Their protection and welfare is the center of gravity of friendly forces and I'll, I'm the decisive terrain this is something that I stole well I think this is the third like big thing that I stole from this to sort of start selling counterinsurgency up my chain of command was this idea that the center of gravity the decisive terrain in this fight was not an airfield it wasn't a part of town it was the people mm. If we got the people, like, you know, when you when you storm a beach, once you get the beachhead, you know, once you get a foothold, that's the that's the decisive terrain. Or if you're mm-hmm. taking an island, you want to get the high ground. Mm-hmm. Here, it wasn't the high ground. It wasn't the, 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 the beachhead. It wasn't the airfield. It was the people. Gaining and maintaining that support is a formidable challenge. There are a host of non-military agencies who efforts must, whose efforts must be synchronized and coordinated with those of military to achieve these aims. And this, this thing closes out. Insurgents are also fighting for the support of the population but are constrained by neither the law of war nor the bounds of human decency. They do anything to preserve their greatest advantage, the ability to hide among the people. These amoral enemies survive by their wits, constantly adapting to the situation. To defeat them, it is essential that counterinsurgent forces develop the ability to learn and adapt rapidly and continuously. So, Learn and adapt rapidly and continuously. Seems to be a common theme here. 
on this podcast, in the books that we review, in the people that we talk to, in the lessons that we learn. We seem to hear it over and over and over again as one of the primary and most important attributes of winning. So I think it's pretty clear that you need to take lessons like this and if you can learn to apply them, and you can't universally apply them, right? There's no, and it says in the book, it says you can't just universally apply these things. You always have to be smart enough to pay attention, you run a feedback loop, see what's actually happening, and adjust. And you can only do that, by the way, if you're humble enough to, to actually listen to the feedback loop. Hmm. Everything is related, everything is connected. And you can overlay these things into whatever part of your life you need to to counter whatever insurgency that you're facing. Whether you're on the battlefield, whether you're in business, you're a leader, you're you're facing an insurgency in your own family. Sometimes. And we also have to pay attention to the fact that we might have an insurgency going on inside of us. An insurgency of weakness. <laughs> and sloth. Yep. Trying to bring us down. Echo Charles. Yes, sir. Do you have any recommendations how we could fight the internal insurgency that we are facing every single day? Bro, it's there. 100% there, Okay. You know when you, you know when you, got a workout planned, mm-hmm. right? And then boom, you feel the battle going on inside. All the reasons why today should actually, you know what? Think about it. Today should be a rest day. Yeah. That's the one side, you know. Mm-hmm. And the other side is like, nope, shouldn't be a rest day. In fact, you're you're weak right now, and let's get stronger. Let's push. The, there's a lot of physical benefits. And if you overcome this feeling of not wanting to do the workout, and you do it anyway, that's even now you're getting stronger mentally mm-hmm. too. And now uh, you know. But meanwhile, it's like, boom, it's a little battle. The other side is like, but you got all that other stuff you could be doing that you need to do. You got this stuff to do. If you get that done, boom, you'll be way better off. I'm just saying you'll get some recovery, you know. So it's like two battles going on. Insurgents are in there. Oh, yeah. And they're t- and it's like that, when you said the insurgency on the inside, it's that. It's the weak part of, it's happened to me before. I'll go ahead and go ahead let the cat out of the bag right there so if i'm working on something right whatever it may be mm-hmm. and it's it's time for the workout or whatever like that part of me would be like god just do it tomorrow do the workout tomorrow because look you got all this thing that you're in the middle of getting that done is actually better right now mm-hmm. or it's beneficial you know that insurgent is trying to win the heart and mind of my whole actions see what i'm saying mm-hmm like showing me the benefits, yeah. you know, of like skipping the workout. But it's kind of evil <laughs> in a way, you know. <laughs> but, yeah, we got to fight against that. Anyway, so, yes, yeah, so what are we doing? Boom, we're working out. Yeah, for sure Don't we skip are. the workout. Don't skip If it. you're injured, skip the workout. Today was today, this very day. Sure. I, well, I knew looking at my week ahead because what is the day of the week? It is Saturday right now. Yes. So. I looked at the week ahead and, and looked at tomorrow. I'm pretty booked up tomorrow, and the whole week is kind of crazy. Mm. And I know that we needed to get this done. 
So my first thing, you know, I always wake up early in the morning, work out, but I knew I had to prioritize this. And I actually got it done pretty quick. I, you know, I had already read it, so now I was going through making notes and whatever. And I, but I woke up and did that first. Before the workout. Before the workout, because I had to prioritize and execute. Yes, sir, understand. So now it's like, you know, I, I spent like three or four hours finishing the reading, looking a couple things up, and then I was going through, you know, highlighting. So now it's like 10.30 or something like that. Dang. I had a little food and I had all kinds of excuses oh, yeah. locked and loaded. <laughs> Especially after you eat. Uh, that's Yeah, so so what I did was, yeah, I had a little insurgency going on. Yeah. And then I just texted you and said, hey, one o'clock, let's do it. And I said, as soon as, if he, he's, I don't care if he responds or not, I'm just gonna go get after it before I eat a like legitimate food. Yeah. Wait, did you get out the workout? Oh, yeah, just went and knocked out a workout. Yeah, yeah. Just did sort of a combo workout. Right. Took me 40 minutes. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Still solid. Really but, solid. but just had to get it done. You yeah. know, had to get it done. Had to overcome that little oh, yeah. insurgency situation. Because sometimes happening. those insurgents can make good points. They're making they good do. points. No, all the they, time. they know what they're doing. Yeah. They absolutely <laughs> know what they're doing. That's why you got to be able to counter them. Um, Oh, man, I was thinking this. Let's face it, insurgencies are successful often. Yeah. Yeah, they're not. If you don't know how to counter them, you're going to be in trouble. Big time. What? Um, so I was thinking this yesterday when I was working out. Same way you were that one time you were teasing me about squats or whatever. You were like, oh, I wonder if echo squat. Remember you are saying mm -hmm. that? Okay, so I was kind of the same inverse, reverse, whatever scenario where I was like, I wonder if Jocko could do this workout. Like, what if me and Jocko traded workouts, whatever, mm -hmm. given day, and we had to do the same workout, same weight, everything. Mm -hmm. If you can't do it, oh, there's an indicator you can't do it kind of thing, right? So, <laughs> If you can't do it, it's an indicator that you can't do it. <laughs> No, I'm, saying, I'm saying that's the purpose of trading workouts. Mm -hmm. You know, like you always wonder, like, I wonder if I could do that guy's workout. I wonder if I could do the, you know, that, that football player's mm -hmm. workout, whatever. You know, you kind of wonder that every once in a while, especially when you see guys working out hard. Like, mm -hmm. I wonder, are they, you know, these CrossFit guys or whatever. So that's what I was thinking. I was like, I wonder if I, I wonder how I would fare with Jocko's workout because mm -hmm. there's two kind of, kind, kinds of like roadblocks if you will one is like if i just can't do the weight like let's say your squat is just it's a bigger squat than me mm -hmm. you know so if you got freaking a set of 20 a set of 15 a set of nine and a set of how does however that goes and you're you and i gotta use your same weight and i simply can't get 20 reps with that weight i yeah. just physically can't do it it's kind of like, okay there's that that's one then the, the other one is like this is like I, I gotta tap out this is too hard for me <laughs> i gotta rest more or i gotta like not do 10 sets i can only do like five or whatever you see what i'm saying mm -hmm. there's that too so both of those and probably there's other stuff too is like you wonder how would i fare in that exact workout same you know weight like we're now work a similar weight mm -hmm. as far as body weight or whatever. So it's like, I was wondering that, like, I wonder if, then I was like, first I was wondering, I wonder if I could do Jocko's. Then I was, then I was thinking, I wonder if he could do mine. I don't think I could do yours. I think that there's be a Venn diagram where there'd be an overlap in the middle where we could both do each other's workouts. Then I have some workouts that you wouldn't be able to do. And yeah. then you have some workouts that I wouldn't be able to do because yeah. of our specialties. Right. <laughs> yeah. The the Metcons, I feel like I don't know. 
Because yours are more extended, right? Your your Metcons. They're like probably like what 15, 20 minutes or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or more. Yeah. See, so but they're gonna be less intense though. <laughs> Depends. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> Nonetheless, I was wondering that. So maybe one day we're gonna see. We should trade straight up. Have the workout. I have rest periods built in too. By yeah. the way, that's that's one thing. Is yours seems more structured. Yeah. You know, well, I guess not. Re- I guess not really, because but I just basically I don't have rest periods. Yeah. Generally, most of my workouts don't have like a rest, pe- like a time where you're like three minutes of rest. I don't generally have that. Yeah. Yeah, I do for sure. Because what I'll be doing is some other exercise during that period. Yeah, which is yet another type of like workout. Yeah. You know, like stimulus free. Because l- let's say you're just let's go, okay, let's go basic example. If you go, um, f- you know, five sets of twelve, we'll mm-hmm. just say right. There's a way, there's a huge difference with not only the weight you can do, but just overall what you're doing to your body for that workout. If you go one minute rest in between those sets and three minutes rest in between those sets, you're doing like, essentially you're doing two different things to your body, Yeah, you know? So it's like, all right, which workout am I doing? Then that's what, that's why rest is, is kind of set in there. But then if there's no rest in between the sets and you program it like, oh, I need to get 500 pull-ups. I don't care how I get them. Mm -hmm. I just got to get them. I don't know as fast as I can, I guess, Mm -hmm. or whatever, or just, you just got to get 500 pull-ups. It's kind of, that's part of the workout too, you know? So it's like, it's almost like it's, you're doing a specific thing to your body there too, you know? So it's like that fits, you know, you don't have to have rest periods. And I program them in for a reason. See what I'm saying? Yeah. No, you have a specific purpose, but nonetheless, (laughs) <laughs> oh yeah all right oh, nonetheless for, i forgot yes i'm gonna t- uh, tell uh, people how we can stay on the path yeah effectively healthy mm-hmm. and um you know effectively and healthy anyway yeah so when you're working out you can eat need fuel eat good 80 20 is good 80 percent clean 20 percent freedom 80 percent discipline 20 percent freedom yeah interesting well uh, Diet wise, that's recommended. You can go nine to ten. You can go nine to ten. You start going seventy thirty, then you—that's you, a slippery slope. Right that's what I think. Nonetheless, you want supplementation for your joints, for your brain, uh, for even protein supplements. Boom, we got you Jocko Fuel supplements. Joint warfare for your joints, obviously. Krill oil, omega threes all day, and antioxidants. By the way, also discipline and discipline go, which are essentially the same thing. Different delivery systems, cans. <laughs> And powders, it's true. 100% and true. and pills. And pills. Uh, what are they called? Capsules. <laughs> yeah, capsules. Because I told I told B little at the beginning. So we started making discipline. And I said, "Hey man, this is really good stuff. Yeah, I this is exactly what I this is what we want, right?" Yes. I said, "But I I talk for long periods of time yeah. for a living, yeah. and if I have to drink this to get my get that hitter, sure. <laughs> if I have to drink hitter. this before I go out and start talking. And then all of a sudden I gotta go to the bathroom. I said, I need a pill, I told him. I said, I said, put this stuff into a pill. He goes, okay. And he made a, what is it a, called? A, it's a compressed, not a capsule, but like right, a compressed right, a thing, whatever. Yeah. And I don't really like those. Oh, for real? So then I had to send him back by the drone board. I was so like, what? bro, and he goes, he said, you, he said, you said pill, and I said, I thought that a capsule was a pill. pill, To me, that's the same thing. You take a pill, right? Right. I didn't know that a pill was a whatever that compressed thing is, Mm. and a capsule is something different. Yes. But if you need that little 
like you need it, yeah. boom, you yeah. can take a, a the capsule, capsule discipline gun. Not a pill, not a gel cap. Which actually this stemmed from, so I forget what happened in the world, but there was controversy about veterans and drugs. Mm-hmm. And someone was saying something like, you know, what do you expect to happen when these put all these vets on drugs? Put on amphetamines. And I said, I said, we're not on amphetamines. And he goes, pilots take amphetamines. And I said, I texted Dave Burke. Yeah, good deal, Dave. Yeah. And I said, I said, do, do they give you guys amphetamines to take? And he goes, no. I mean, this is all within, this is, this is on Twitter. This is probably two years ago. He goes, no. And I, so I go back to the guy, I go, no, they never give pilots amphetamines. And then I get it. As soon as I tweeted that, Dave Burke. Good deal. Dave. Yeah. He goes back. He goes, bro, I just screwed you. He sent me a text. He's like, bro, I just screwed you. And I was like, what? He goes, he goes, they definitely give it to us. And I, and I was like, and I, I was like, Roger. Yeah. I said, hey, Watch I was wrong. But guess what they call them? What? Go pills. Okay. So that's what I was saying to, to be little. I, was, I said, gotcha. hey, man, we need go pills. Yeah. No, we don't need amphetamines in them. Right, yeah. In fact, Probably we do not. not want amphetamines. No, sir, we don't. But we do want the feeling that discipline and and the the, the discipline powder gives you. Yeah, little cognitive kick. Yeah, little little get little, up and go. Yes, that's why we call it discipline go. Anyways, there you go. There you go. That's a little information behind that. We got Jocko White tea. We got milk, strawberry, chocolate uh, for kids. We got mint, peanut butter, the whole nine yards. Uh, and all the stuff is available at Vitamin Shop, or it's available at OriginMain.com. Yep. Speaking of Origin Main, other things on there besides Jocko Fuel, like Gizen Rash Guards for Jiu-Jitsu when we go back to Jiu-Jitsu, if we haven't already. We're kind of getting back there. Boom, there you I go. think there's a, a, a underground movement. There's yep. definitely people training. Yeah, that's JP's training. Texas is open. Yeah. Yeah, there's. Uh, I think I heard a thing that gyms are opening uh, June fifteenth or something like this. They opened with a bunch of restrictions. Yeah. So, yeah, but we're getting there. Yeah, coming out from the underground for sure. So, so you're yes. gonna need a new gi. Yep, origin gi, best ones factually in the world, by the way, mm-hmm. and fully in America, of course. Yes. Made in America, yes, of course. Which is kind of important right now. Big time. You want to get your stuff that's made in America, not made in China. Yeah. Yeah. That's my recommendation anyways. Agree. Don't forget about jeans. Don't forget about boots. (laughs) Don't forget about t-shirts, hoodies, and don't forget about joggers. Unless you're me. If you're me, don't get joggers. Yeah, just forget about them, actually. There's a whole, a whole just... A whole con- there's a whole just plethora of reasons <laughs> yes. why if your name is Jocko, don't get joggers. They just don't work. Yeah, don't just get was them. not meant to be. Don't put them on. Just <laughs> if your name is Echo Charles, <laughs> oh, all day, all day, joggers all, all day. day. <laughs> oh yes, sir. <laughs> yes, orgymain.com. Also, Jocko has a store that's called JockoStore.com. That's where you can get your shirts, custom shirts. Maybe you stretching that word <laughs> custom for a while. But nonetheless, you can't represent discipline equals freedom. Good. Uh, take the high ground. The high ground take you. Get after it. It's a good one. Anyway, shirts that will rep- you can represent on the path while you're on. 
path. Good stuff. <laughs> anyway, get some hats on there, some other cool stuff. So, yeah, if you like something, get something. Uh, we have an email list. Mm. Here's the thing. I, I always feel kind of odd, for lack of a better term, saying, hey, sign up on for our email list. It it feels weird saying that. Well, that's because you have been conditioned in your life that every time somebody told you that and you did it, you got a bunch of yeah, junk. Yes. Yeah, and I don't want to say spam necessarily, but yeah, it's one of these things where, and I'll, I'm down. I am down for the email list 100%. If I'm like, oh, wait, I do want updates on this mm-hmm. stuff right here. Like, I'm down. I'm not conditioned necessarily against it, but here's the thing. I have felt the sting of signing up for the email list, hoping that I'll be updated with like new cool stuff that they offer or whatever. But meanwhile, they're sending me like, oh, happy Valentine's Day from XYZ.com. It's like, bro, I don't care about you wishing me happy Valentine's Day in my email inbox, which let's face it, our email inbox for most of us, for some of us, we'll say, I think most of us, but whatever, our inbox is kind of sacred. Like, bro, stay out of there if if you don't have something significant. That's the way it should be. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, my point there is if if you sign up for this. If so you're you saying all this now you're going to tell everyone that you should uh, sign up for the email no, list. I'm not saying anyone should do anything ever. Maybe not ever. But I'm not saying in this case. But I'm saying we do have an email list. If you do want updates, and here's basically what I'll, we'll send out is, like, if there's a new design or a new hoodie or a new whatever. That's it. Pretty much for the store. With the occasional, and when I say occasional, I mean very occasional exception where if there's like some important announcement. And important is like, very. it has to be very important. What's an example of an important announcement that's come out on the email list? Because I'm on the email list. has come out? Yeah. None. Okay, that's what I, I was going to say. I haven't gotten any important yeah, announcements. Yeah, I'm just saying from that. Echo Charles <laughs> no, none. On the email list. None have been, but I'm saying if there was like, hey, freaking no podcast for one month or, you know, something that like I would anticipate a bunch of people trying to email me or you mm-hmm. about, then maybe. But I mean, I can't think of anything offhand specifically, but. It'll be real important, I think. I will firmly believe that it's important. Anyway, otherwise, you're just going to get new stuff every, what, once a month? Maybe once every two, three months. Yes. Maybe. Yeah. So anyway, I'm not going to abuse you. That's what I'm saying. I realize that everyone's inbox is sacred. Where, I'm okay, like, so I'm gonna let's get to the, Okay. Where do they sign up for this email uh, address list thing? On jockostore.com at the bottom. Should I make some kind of an email? <laughs> Hey, <laughs> no, bro. Okay, I don't think so. Right, we'll get feedback. You know, leave everybody alone. That's like what people are all into. Like, oh, you should do. Yeah, you know, and I dig it. If the, it's that's like the what do you call it? The Have you ever gotten an email from somebody that's like, like you sign up for an email list, and then you get an email, but it says it's from like the person. You go, ah, oh, it's from so and so, but then it's just a mass email. Yeah. Well. Because sometimes it is from that person, but it is a mass email. <laughs> okay. But sometimes it's from like their marketing company yeah, or whatever. Yeah, those which, are the ones that I go, come on, man. Yeah, bro, I felt all good. But, well, this one is good because this is actually from me. Yeah. So I'll try to make it look cool and official, you know, with yeah. some cool pictures on there. But, but yes, it is coming from me. I have friends yes. that, you know, kind of have email lists, right? Yeah, sure. And and. I'm on their email list, but then I'm also have, you know, we'll exchange personal emails, right? Right. About whatever topic. And I'll get an email from 
uh, like an email will show up and I go, oh, well, oh, that's cool, it's so-and-so. And then I open it up and it's one of those things. I'm always <laughs> like, oh, dude, that's a bummer. Yeah, what do you mean? Like Sam Harris? Just whoever. Oh, you, yeah. yeah, you name them. I signed up for Sam Harris's email list, but it was ha- happened to be at the same time where I sort of like met him and uh-huh. sort of like know him. And then I seen it like from Sam Harris. I was like, yes, Sam Harris is emailing me. And then it's like his podcasting. I was like, I felt that. It was cool. I signed up for a reason. So I was expecting. But that expectation oh. that it's actually him emailing you being like, hey, great to meet you or something like this, you know. Yeah. Kind of that's funny no i get i get it i get you know quite a few friends like that yeah. where and you know i don't i'm not a big communicator and i don't have a ton of friends anyways so when i do get emails from my friends it's always because i get a lot of business emails obviously mm-hmm. but then when people email my personal email you know and i go oh and then I see that it's a form email. Like, oh, well, well, well. <laughs> <laughs> maybe not quite yeah. as excited. But sometimes okay. it has spurred me to email them, right? I've gone, you know, and then they email me back, and we have a cool something, oh, you know. But right, it reminds yeah. me. Yeah, yeah. I say, why? What gave me that feeling? Like, oh, that's cool to hear from this person or that person. Mm-hmm. Maybe they were thinking the same thing. Yep. Why am I not emailing them? Who am I supposed to not not yep. taking any initiative here? Yeah. So then true. I'll take some initiative and say, hey, I listened to your last podcast, or hey, I saw you do that thing, yep. and they go, oh, cool. You know what I mean? Yep. So it's a little indirect prompt yeah. to kind of relate to people. Yeah, reach out, man. Yeah. Can't pick up a phone. Yeah. It's true. All right, well, nonetheless, there you go. So, yeah, jockelstore.com, that's where all this stuff is. Also, if you want to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, I know it sounds kind of weird because you probably already are subscribed. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. I am. Yes, I am. Yeah, you, of course. Yeah, (laughs) me too, Jocko. But if you're not subscribed, you want to subscribe, boom, let me remind you that that option is available for you. Uh, we also have some other podcasts. We have a podcast formerly known as The Thread, which I was this close to renaming, and I and I yeah, yeah, yeah. didn't like it. Mm-hmm. And then I found then I found the ultimate new name for it. And there's already another podcast which I can't even believe exists okay. with this name that I can't believe has already been taken. So I'm still in the midst of finding out a new name for that. Well, what was the name? I can't, I'm not going to say it. Why not? Because it's just I'm not going to say it. <laughs> We just, we're just so you were so let down. I was not the so name. disappointed, and also I I want to see if there's a way that I can still manipulate the name enough to use it. Oh right, right, right. Gotcha. Like, but yeah. I but I don't want to give it away. Uh, grounded podcast where we talk about jujitsu, which we talked about jujitsu today a lot, anyways. So, but we talk about it even more, and we talk about life, and we talk about everything else on the grounded podcast. We got the Warrior Kid podcast. For your warrior kids, we got warrior kids soap from irishoaksranch.com, a young warrior kid making soap. So that everybody out there in the entire world can stay clean. Uh, We got a YouTube channel, which is where Echo takes videos and he puts them on there. Sometimes he puts modifications. I said last time that he he should put enhancements into just the podcast. So when I talk about counterinsurgencies, when I talk about weapons, mm-hmm. some things should happen in this. Yeah. You didn't do it. Whatever. Total lack of initiative, mm-hmm. but it's all good. I'm sure there's someone out there that would love to modify these things. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, the, to me, the jury is still out whether or not that's a good idea. So, you know, we're, I'm going I'm to think wh- about it. Why don't we test it? Why don't we see? <laughs> Next time when we do this podcast, you know, you make your little notes. You make your little, <laughs> yeah, you make your little yeah, notes. Yeah, I do. You Thank should be you. like, oh, when I talk about. Oh, there was this massive explosion. 
You could just make a little note okay. that says right. one hour and thirty seven right. minutes explosion. Yeah, explosion yeah. Here's the thing, Jock. For somebody that freaking just puts explosions everywhere. Yes, sir. Yeah, and I'm I'm an explosion uh, advocate as far as video goes, hundred percent. But here's the thing. Here's the thing with that. So let's say I put a cool machine gun sound, explosions. You know, whatever I put, mm-hmm. whatever we put, in mm-hmm. one single person on YouTube. With one of those ghost accounts that, like, you know, no profile picture. One of those guys mm-hmm. says, that's corny. Bro, that's going to, like, devastate me, I think. Us. Okay. And we can't do it. That's an indicator. Bro, you, know, you need to harden up. I'm just <laughs> <laughs> you need to toughen up. Also, we got psychological warfare, a bunch of uh, me talking about your moments of weakness, little psychological hitters. We got flip side canvas, little visual hitters. FlipsideCanvas.com. Support Dakota Meyer while you're at it. We got a bunch of books. The Code, The Evaluation, The Protocols. Leadership Strategy and Tactics Field Manual. Way of the Warrior Kid 1, 2, and 3. Mikey and the Dragons. Discipline equals Freedom Field Manual. Extreme Ownership and The Dichotomy of Leadership. Check out those books if you like what we talk about on here. Echelon Front, that's our leadership consultancy. I talked about it a couple times today. We solve problems through leadership that's what we do go to echelonfront.com and by the way if you want me to come and speak to your company don't go to a speakers bureau and don't google jocko speaking just go to echelonfront.com that's what we do we have ef online which is revamped come and check it out it's online courses it's online not just online courses it's online interactive if you want to talk to me if you want to talk if you want to hang out with me in a zoom meeting get on to efonline.com and you will get to talk i will be sitting there answering your question muster our leadership seminar event gathering Phoenix, Arizona, September 16th and 17th. We're doing it. Dallas, Texas, December 3rd and 4th. We're doing it. Every gig we've ever done has sold out. ExtremeOwnership.com. If you want to come to that, and if you need leadership in your organization, go to EFOverwatch.com. We got military, prior service military personnel that understand the principles we talk about, and they're ready to come to work at your team. Also, America's Mighty Warriors.org. Mama Lee, Mark Lee's mom. She's out there on the grind, helping in a multitude of different ways. Service members, active duty, their families, gold star families around the world. That's what she's doing. You can go to America's Mighty Warriors.org to either get involved or just donate. And if you haven't had enough of my protracted discourse or you need more of echoes arbitrary tales you can find us on the interwebs on twitter on instagram and on facebook echo is at echo charles i am at jocko willink and thanks to everyone out there in uniform right now trying to keep order from becoming chaos and you're doing it voluntarily for us and a massive thanks to police and law enforcement out there firefighters paramedics emts dispatchers correctional officers border patrol secret service you do some of the hardest work in the world you don't make a ton of money you do it with massive risk for yourselves and you do it to keep us safe and we thank you
and to everyone else out there and there are lots of insurgencies going on lots of insurgencies happening in your life in your business in your relationships in your family in yourself and it's real easy just to say hold the line it's real easy i say it all the time but you got to remember all these complexities you got to remember that more than just brute force, you have to use your mind. You can't just outmaneuver. You have to outthink. You have to give and you have to take. You have to think strategic and you have to play the long game. And it's not easy. But that's how you win. So go out there and get after it. And until next time, This is Echo and Jocko, out.